That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. <clears throat> Two girls and their father move into a crappy old house by a big tree. <laughs> <laughs> Some black koosh balls run away from them. Uh-huh. Uh, they meet a giant bipedal sloth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they frolic and stuff. Uh, Dad's bus is late. The sloth steals their umbrella and a frog burps. Later, their mom maybe has a cold, so they take a cat bus, which is pretty much what it sounds like, and find out that, yup, it's a cold. Uh, they leave their mom some corn, but my, pe- <laughs> but my people call it maize. Mm. Yes. The end. The Incomparable, number 144, June 2013. Welcome back to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about another classic Japanese animated film. I think last year, John Syracuse and I spent some time talking about Hayao Miyazaki's wonderful Kiki's Delivery Service. And we're back to talk about his 1988 film, My Neighbor Totoro, which was recently re-released in a beautiful Blu-ray edition. So that's our that's our hook. That's our timely hook. Uh, joining me because you know it Blue came Ray out. Blu-ray man is the wave of the future. It came out in '88, so that's not it. So it's it's the Blu-ray is new, the movie is old, the Blu-ray is new. And joining me, you heard his voice there. It is Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. Ah, oh, konnichiwa, Jason. Thank you. Do you have a lot of uh, background with uh, with this movie, or did you just watch it for the podcast? This is my first, uh, my first Totoro, and my first Miyazaki. Wow. So this I've... podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of questions. That voice you heard is John Syracuse, who is, of course, here to talk about things that are animated and from Japan. Hi, John. Thanks for coming back. You know, in the, la- the Star Trek episode, I had said I had a false memory of us doing uh, an episode about the, uh, the original reboot Star Wars, or Star Trek. Didn't we do an episode not just about Kiki, but about all of Miyazaki movies, and we tried to talk a little bit about each one, or am I imagining that as well? Uh, we did try to talk about, uh, all of them, but, uh, didn't spend a whole lot of time on any of them. I fear I'm going to repeat things I said on that show. Well, so that's okay. Ready. We're going to expand. This is the expanded it's, it's okay, Blu-ray John. edition. I, I have not listened to that episode, so it will be new to me. Well, that's good. And, uh, who you haven't heard yet, but joining us for a second visit to the incomparable is our good friend, a friend of the podcast. You know him, you love him. You can't live without him. It's Merlin Mann. Hi, Merlin. Hi, Jason. Hi, guys. It's good to have you back. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. I love this movie. Yeah, it's. Uh, I love it too. But spoiler alert, <laughs> I think, although Steve may be confused by it, but I think the rest of us love it, so we'll get into it. So, um, so My Neighbor Totoro, I can tell you, um, I first saw this movie, I'm going to say... 
I mean, more than a decade ago, I think I saw a VHS that was the original uh, English dub of this movie. Um, I think at, at my uh, my wife's aunt and uncle's house, and then didn't see it for um, for many years, and then finally um, got the DVD of it because I remember liking it, and and the DVD, of course, is the version that's the Disney dubbed version. Um, and until the, I got the DVD or the Blu-ray last week, I had never watched the Japanese version with English subtitles. But I know that John insists that uh, that that's the way to watch them. So I did actually watch the Blu-ray there, and then also watch some of it in English with my kids. So I've seen it in kind of a bunch of different versions. Um, John, what's your experience? What's your background with uh, my neighbor Totoro? Yeah, so I saw it in the original Japanese, like most anime. But then I had kids. And they can't read subtitles or couldn't at the time I introduced this movie to them. Right. So subsequently, I have seen this movie in, with, in the Disney dub, the one with uh, Dakota Fanning and everything, many, 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 many times. And to rewatch it for, for this podcast, I went back and watched the dub version and I could barely remember it. Because like you, when you don't have kids, you watch a movie once, twice, three times. Uh, you know, maybe you revisit it once a year after that if it's a super duper favorite, right? But when you have kids, you see the same movie a bazillion times. And so I found that in the memory space for this movie, the dub has come to dominate through sheer repetition. Yeah. And so it was kind of alien for me to be watching the subtitle version, which is a very strange experience, especially for the anime that my kids don't watch. So, I mean, like when Merlin is making tweets today about everything about lines from the movie, those are lines from the dub. And I recognize them as lines from the dub, even though they're not like lines from the real movie. Like they're not even, they're not even the words that they say in Japanese. Like the subtitles don't match the words that the characters say in this movie. Well, I, I, I went to follow up on that and there's actually, I found three different translations of that line that have nothing to do with creepy. I mean, in three different uh, transcripts from different people, it's a wreck. It's pretty old. It's completely rotten. <laughs> None of those have anything to do with creepy. Are there multiple dubs? Yeah. Oh, there's, there's, there's the English fo- dubs? There's not dubs, one, but... Right? Well, there's two There's two dubs. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. There's two dubs. There's the original one, which is eh, not great. I like, like, like you, I guess, I've seen the uh, Dakota Fanning one many, many, many times. I love it. Um, I watched it. I watched, uh, I don't know, the first third of it tonight in, for the first time, because everybody was saying you got to go see the uh, subtitle version. Like John having a kid, we're not going to you know have subtitles around the house. So, yeah, it's a very different movie. The characters come off very different from the dub from the dub version. I think the dub version is very well done, but it's a it's kind of a it's a different movie. Um, and I mean, so I guess I've seen. I, at first, I saw my friend Michael showed me the cat bus scene, like you know, thirteen or fourteen years ago, and I thought it was hilarious and super weird. And then I saw it. I think I found a copy that fell off the back of a truck of the original, is it like the original DVD dub version? It was a Fox. Fox uh, put out a version of it with a dub that's different than, had different voices than the Disney one. I've never uh, seen it. Right. Yeah, I, I seem to remember that and thinking it was not so distinguished, but the movie's so visually stunning. And then, yeah, then the uh, Dakota Fanning version, which, as I say, I think is very well done. I've got a good uh, 1080p of that that I, I really like. Um, and then today, like I say, for the first time in a long time, since having a kid anyway, I, I went back and watched the... Uh, version with subtitles and then went down the rabbit hole of like finding two versions of the translated script and three different all these different sets of you know anyway I, I guess my point being that the Miyazaki himself says that you really this movie 
barely makes sense as it is and won't make sense <laughs> if you don't speak Japanese because there's all kinds of jokes and nuances that get lost. So I'm really interested in, in hearing what you guys have to say about that because uh, now I, I feel like I almost like I've been watching a different movie. Yeah, see, John John says in the through purest fashion that watching it in Japanese with the subtitles is a better experience. It's certainly different, but since since I think none of us understand Japanese – you know, we're still relying on the subtitles. We can hear what they're saying and, and maybe pick some nuance out, but we can't understand what they're saying. So it's, it is fascinating that there are these different versions. And I know I did this with Kiki's Delivery Service not too long ago. I watched it uh, in the subtitle version, and it's, it, is, it is very different. And the translations aren't the same because the subtitles don't need to match the lips moving of the characters, right? They can be... Uh, theoretically closer to what was intended in the original whereas the dub version needs to you know you can't have somebody saying something when you can't see them speaking so they're they're very different we've talked about this in the other anime episode like there's it's a blessing and a curse to watch a movie with subtitles when you don't speak the language because the curse is of course that you know you you can't get all the nuances that are there in the original language you don't understand what they're saying but the blessing is that you can imagine that their acting performances are better than they are and that that as a Westerner, that is an actual very important but very not very often spoke about advantage of watching dubs with subtitles is that poor performances where line readings are, are really bad, you are insulated from them. And at least in my mind, I, I tend to project and imagine that these are great vocal the performances. Greatest really actors they, ever. Really they could just be terrible, but I have no idea what they're saying. So That's okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. understand <laughs> that line. And oh yeah, and for the subtitles matching, like the I know enough Japanese to know when that like the, the person said mother or father or sister and they inserted the proper noun instead like and they'll do that repeatedly or when they have expanded what I know to be a single idiomatic phrase into an English sentence that is more or less equivalent uh, stuff like that is I, I would much rather have I, I kind of grew up on fan subs and I would much rather have literal subtitles that don't make as much sense than uh, English subtitles where they attempt to expand out Japanese idioms into remotely equivalent English idioms. Well, you know, when they just say yes or thank you or something like that in the Japanese version, and then you see that the subtitle is it's like, like a sentence and a half. Yeah. Wow. It's like, no, I heard them. They just said yes. Well, <laughs> but, yeah. And then the, and the final, the final sin of the dub is when, and this kills me and they do it on these Miyazaki ones a lot is there is no line in the original Japanese. No one is speaking. And yet they will have the English voice actor say things because they can get away with it because like the face isn't on camera yeah. because they feel like they need to explain things like oh so we're going there now yes we're going there okay well, i guess we're going to go there and like there's not like no dialogue whatsoever in that scene in the japanese one and that just makes me angry and i said stop it we can figure <laughs> it out you don't we're not that dumb so uh now that we've we've uh, described how we're not qualified to even judge this and yet we're going to uh steve so yes so this was your this was your first miyazaki and and your first totoro indeed and i i did watch it in the original japanese because it just seemed wrong to do it any other way mm. and and even watching it in the japanese uh kind of like john says i i felt like i was not doing it right because i don't speak the language and i frankly don't have a clue how good the translation is and i don't know enough about uh japanese speech patterns to know if you know if there's a decent performance going on here or not um obviously you know that does have its benefits but um, so, so even the way I watched it felt, I felt a little dirty. And then, uh, I, I intended to watch it the second time with the English dub and I got maybe about 10 minutes in and I just switched back to the subs <laughs> for, for two reasons. I mean, one is, one is that it's such a different movie 
with the subs. And I, actually, I don't even have any idea which of the two. I mean, it's uh, with the dub. It's a it's a different movie. And I'm not even entirely sure which of the two dubs I watched, uh, having obtained it um, through <coughs> non-traditional <coughs> means. A screener. If, if the father sounded like the guy from Wings, you were watching the Disney one. Okay, I'm not. I'm still not sure. No, the but, other guy uh, from Wings. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, that guy. Okay, sure. Mm, there you go. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, I got, you know, 10 minutes in and, and I realized that I was going to be incredibly confused having only seen this film twice, once with the, the, uh, once with the English subs and once with the dub, because they're two different, completely different movies. And I was going to, uh, kind of lose track of, uh, what was said in which version. So I, I switched back for that reason. And also because, uh, there's so many little Western colloquialisms and things that they drop into the dub and it's, it's so jarring having seen it in having read the the subs and, and heard the original Japanese, it just seems like it's so different from the way it was intended that uh, it just grated on me and I yeah. couldn't get through it. I, I was struck while I was watching it and uh, and uh, my son brought this up too that it the the the, the dub version and the insertion of westernisms, uh, so his other movie that I love is Kiki's Delivery Service and it's set in a European city. Uh, whereas this is set in Japan, in rural post-war Japan. And you can get away with a lot of kind of weird cultural things when it's a Japanese movie set in a European city. But uh, this isn't that. And so you do you do sort of feel like this is not, this isn't quite right. That you're really westernizing something that, that you maybe shouldn't be because this is a, a Japanese story. Exactly. Yes. Well, okay. Now that we have made it clear that we don't know what we're talking about... <laughs> Um, never stopped us before. Yeah, that's why not. We will we will soldier on. Let me let me explain a little bit for those who haven't seen this movie yet. Um, and I I feel like the spoiler horn has taken the week off because quite honestly, we'll, and we'll get to this a little bit later. Kind of nothing happens in this movie to a certain uh, degree. Totally. And so I, I I don't think you could possibly spoil it other than that it's really nice and you should see it and you know. Spoiler alert! It's nice. I'm so glad you you start off saying that because that's that's exactly what confused me. Oh, nothing, nothing happened. So, so um, this is set in post-war Japan. The story is uh, a professor and his daughters are moving into a house in the country, and when we meet them for the first time, they're they're going down the road in a in a truck with their uh, with their possessions, and they're moving into this this house that that has hasn't had somebody living in it for a little while. And they're doing this because the mother is in the hospital with what we assume is something like tuberculosis, although it's never said. I think it's the vapors. Uh, yeah, it's the con- it's the consumption. It's definitely it's definitely uh, consumption. It's in the graphic novel and uh, Miyazaki's life. So he just right. Yeah, it's straight out of right. His it's just not bio. mentioned in the movie. Absolutely, that that's yeah. what it is. But that's what it is. And they want, I guess, in for some it's medical they want her to not be in the hustle and bustle of the city they want her in the clean air of the countryside but she isn't there yet she's still in the hospital and they're setting up house and they move into this house and the girls kind of clean it up and they're little magical black uh, puffy guys who are living in this house there's nothing better for the consumption than little black koosh balls flying everywhere yeah made of soot (laughs) made of Uh, soot and they and so they, they clean up the house and those all go away and then uh and and so then they're living in this house, and uh, one of the girls sees a creature in the grass, and it's like a a spirit or a, or, or or something, a, a strange little animal spirit, and she follows it through a through a kind of a tunnel in the 
next to a tree like made out of plants and she ends up at the base of this giant tree with uh, uh a couple with these three giant or three creatures one small one medium and one very large that are these wood spirits and then she declares them totoro which i'm unclear it sounds like maybe it's a pronunciation of troll in the dub version he actually the large one actually says to to and she says, oh, you're Totoro, which is strange, because he may have just been saying, get off my stomach. Well, he sort of sounds like that in the, uh, e- even in the Japanese version, it sounds vaguely like that. Sort of. It's right. Kind of, they dubbed that part? I didn't think they had dubbed Totoro. Oh, yeah. To- Totoro is not the same not the same voice in the Japanese version and the, and the English dub. They dubbed Totoro. They totally dubbed Totoro, man. Oh, that's not right. <laughs> I think Marlon must have looked this up in his Wikipedia research. That yeah, I think it's I think it's a mispronunciation of troll. So the uh, yeah. the idea is in the uh, dub version that you know she I guess mispronounces it. I yeah, it's supposed to be a troll based on they say is it a troll and then she says is it a Totoro and she says yes she had mis 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 her Totoro as Totoro, yeah. but yeah, but I mean they yeah there's the King Totoro and the. They're yeah, there's so small, medium, and large Totoros. That's that's interesting. Uh, here, I thought it was the Japanese for giant bipedal sloth, hmm. but it turns out that's it's troll. No, it's yeah. troll. <laughs> we don't have a word for that. Sloths <laughs> have two toes, not five. <laughs> so, uh, what happens next? Because again, nothing really happens. So, so she falls asleep, and they find her, and there are no Totoros anywhere. So, was it a dream or was it? Um, and Who then knows? later, later there's a, a rainy night and their, their father's coming back. He's going to take a train to a bus back from Tokyo to this, uh, to this country place where they're living and they're waiting there and the giant Totoro appears, uh, next to them. And, and, uh, yes, this is the plot folks. Um, and they give him an umbrella and <laughs> he is amused by that. And then he gets on a bus that's like a giant cat and he goes away <laughs> Which they call a cat bus. The cat bus. Stop yeah. me if I'm getting any of this wrong. Um, then then uh, they later have a wonderful adventure with the Totoros. And the Totoro jumps up and down with the, uh, with the umbrella. Oh, a frog burps at one point. Don't forget that. You're dead inside, Steve. Dead inside. I, I didn't say I disliked the frog burping. I just wanted to point it out. It's, it's a classic moment. So the girls have a good time with the Totoros. And we, we're led to believe that, that maybe they are real uh, but because they they there's this fantastical scene where they plant these seeds and the Totoros come and they and the seeds grow into giant trees and at the end of the night the trees are gone the father never notices anything but the, the their plants have started to grow so there's some some magic happening and then comes the what we could maybe call the plot which is that uh, the the littler of the two girls uh, wants to go see her mother and and gets lost well, they get they get the phone call that the the mother can't come that weekend uh, because she's had but a it sounds like, It sounds like it might be an emergency has happened right. at first. Yeah. Right. It turns out it's not a big deal, but they can't, they have to go someplace where there's a phone and call their dad in the city, and he has to call the hospital, and, and they don't know. And the, the, the little girl gets upset and wanders off and is, I guess, wandering with her, with her one ear of corn to find her mother at the hospital, and she gets lost. <laughs> and so then they look for her, and, the, uh, and Totoro helps and summons the cat bus, and they go and they find her, and everything's fine. And the corn is delivered. And the corn is delivered to the windowsill of her mother's hospital bed. And I cry. And that's that moment of, it was a dream, or was it? <gasps> it wasn't! Or was it? It wasn't! Or was it? Who knows? <laughs> that's that's one of the things I, I really like about it, is and it's what I like. I mean, obviously, some of the Miyazaki movies are much 
quicker paced. I mean, if you watch something like um, uh, uh, Castle in the Sky, you know, it's really, it's it's like an adventure, Yeah, uh, you know, movie in a lot of ways. Um, But I I like, you know, I kind of like how little happens. And and first of all, (laughs) hearing you do that is a pitch. Yeah. Um, in your Jason Snell voice, in particular, let me it, it, let me explain realize... to you what happens here. <laughs> let me let me lay this. But wait for, for it. it. Wait for it. Here's the thing. Um, then they have to go to the bus stop. <laughs> uh-huh. Wait, wait. Yeah, he's holding. And it's raining. Leaf. And the leaf two is umbrellas. too small. It's really cute. Just uh, picture it. But uh, yeah, what a terrible pitch that would be as as a movie. But you know, um, not to jump too far ahead. I hope. But the the whole. I'm very intrigued by um, the druid-like animism and spirit spirit stuff, but also, you know, and something I guess could make it very perplexing, but I think is really interesting is like how important, um, you know, plants are in this in general. And I, I kind of, did you get the feeling that her dad is maybe like a botanist or something? He's just channeling Miyazaki, who is totally into the natural state of the world that man is ruining. I mean, it's like a recurring right. theme in a lot of his every work. movie. And yeah, so right. this is yeah, and this is a very early that that in, that in girls cleaning dirty houses is that like a schoolgirl thing? Like it yeah. just seems like always somebody's always got to clean a dirty house. I think that's a traditional Japanese thing of cleaning the floor with the little rags or whatever. And I think I'm assuming again, this is like tea leaf reading through learning about Japan only through anime that that is not something that Miyazaki made up, but that that actually is. It's kind of like saying, and you know. In America, do, do people always clean the floors with those mops in the bucket? Yeah, they do. That's why you see people with mops in buckets. You know, but like Howl's Moving Castle, Howl's Moving Castle has a lot of house cleaning too. Uh, yeah, you're right. And Spirited Away has all the girls doing it at once. You know, my um, my kids and I were also watching in fascination about the uh, one of the one of the funny cu- cultural things here is the the bathroom that's got the two big tubs. And they, they, you know, they're bringing in the water and then like all the whole family is bathing or they're sitting in the water and then the girl gets out and she like soaps herself up and then she gets back in the the water. And my kids were fascinated by that because that's, they're like, what, what am I seeing here? And I said, well, (laughs) this is how the, the, this is how they do taking a bath. (laughs) This is the dads in there and the kids are in there and just everybody's in the little bathtub. And it's just it's it's a very different thing. That dad is great, by the way, isn't he? He's he's like the most understanding. He's like, oh, you saw a Totoro, okay? Or you well, know, he's, he's different. Like speaking of difference in the su- dub and the, and the sub, like, difference. So he, huge. In the sub, he is more. I don't know. Like he's he's friendly and garrulous and playful. And kind of like slyly teasing the kids about mm-hmm. their make believe things, mm-hmm. whereas in the in the dub one, he is like, "I'm the friendliest dad in the world, and I love my <laughs> girls, and oh, I will take right. it." Like it's it's more of a dorky kind of thing, whereas the Japanese one, it's like with a little little bit of a, a twinkle in his eye. Get out of the way! I can't close the screen. You know, he's much yeah, but, more but, he's much more taciturn in the. But he uh, is like, version. I mean, you know, this is an example of good characters. What does the dad do in this movie? Not much, right? But like, he, despite the fact that by modern parenting standards, he's neglectful and should get a visit from social services oh, oh, yeah. in terms Indeed. of allowing his children to wander away <laughs> you, while he yeah. while he pours over books. But like, you've got a pre a pre uh, school age daughter running around in places where there are puddles of open water and things like that, and he's like <laughs> reading his book and taking notes, and she's gone. He's like, huh? Until his da- other daughter comes back. It's like checking it over his old baseball score sheets. Yeah, he comes when the when the workday is over. He says, "Oh, has anyone seen my five to four year old?" <laughs> I haven't daughter? given her lunch. I haven't seen her in eight hours. But, what? Yeah. <laughs> but no, but like, but they get you. They despite all that, you get on his side because of things like when they come to the new house, right? And he, he tells the girls something simple as like, "See if you can figure out how to get up to the second floor." He knows how to get up to the second floor, but it's a fun thing for the girls to do. And like simple things like that gets you on his side of like he is 
managing to give the girl to enhance the girl's good time of exploring the new house rather than yelling at them and saying, stop running around. We have to unpack like that's so his character is is in both things defined by that. And that's, that's so much of what, again, what I love about the characterization in the movie, especially with Satsuki and uh, in a, as you kind of say, in, in a subtle way with uh, her dad is think about like what, you know, what they're going through. You know what I mean? If if my wife were really really ill, I'm I'm on, I'm unhinged all the time, and I don't you know I hardly help at all. In this case, he's got to take care of the kids, he's got to work, he's got to do all this stuff, and he still keeps it very playful. And Satsuki's always kind of stepping up to the plate to try and you know be the surrogate mom. She's so happy when her mom says that you know she's like her. And you know again when you say I totally agree when you say nothing happens, that's kind of what I love because it really is on the it's on you know and yet something giant is happening, which it's you know all about our relationship to these environments and each other and uh, he's kind of know. playing the Roberto Benini role in Life Is Beautiful, the Japanese version. You know, he's he's keeping it he's keeping it uh, you know relaxed for the kids while mom is you know potentially near death. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, right. he's being he's being a good dad. Well, I mean, and the huge change of coming to the country and moving into this house, and they make it in, into an adventure, and that that is what this is, right? It's their adventure with the spirits of the forest now that they moved out to the countryside. But you know, he he's got to go to his job, and he's worried about his wife in the hospital, and all of that at the same time. So we, we don't see a lot of that in this in this father. We see him being taking care of his daughters and being supportive, you know, with yeah. some issues about trying to send not, them to their deaths. Yeah, you know, <laughs> having them check out the second floor in the house with the completely rickety porch that's about to collapse on them. <laughs> but don't you love like when they go and like you know greet the tree and and yeah. it's so it's it is self consciously silly at least in the dub version, but uh, it's I think it's really sweet and and their you know their relationship. It's funny when I was getting ready for this, I was I, I love God I love Google for some things. I, I went and did a search on uh, <laughs> you know something along the lines of Disney. Why does Disney kill so many parents? And I found a site that's called uh, Why Does Disney Always Kill the Parents? And because, you know, think about all the Disney movies where so much of the plot turns on the fact that a parent is, like, dead, missing. They've abandoned the kid. The kid is orphaned. Mom's tied to a chain with a chain and Dumbo. And in this movie, it's like it's it's a nuclear family who's having these problems. But, you know, all all of the action comes out of their, their interactions with each other and plants and trolls i guess but i I, th- I think that's really redeeming and, and you know it's, it's true i i like the fact that you know it's just in, in so many kids movies it's so sp- i don't know if i can use that word spastic it's just always there's so much i mean we're super picky we're not as picky as uh, my friend john syracuse is but we're pretty picky about what we'll watch and we will always fall back like if you know mulan is like the worst that we will go generally of non-superhero stuff but <laughs> you know there's so much like just everybody's running around and 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 the kids don't seem like kids. And in this, the kids, like in so many of his movies, they're t- instantly totally believable characters that seem like themselves, people with flaws. But, you know, I mean, how many kids' movies are really about relationships that aren't like, you know, VeggieTales or something? That's an interesting point about the dead parents, because in a sense, that's kind of going on here, but it's much more subdued. I mean, obviously, the reason that Disney goes to that well so many times is if you're, you know, a preschool or, or elementary school age kid, you don't really have that much stuff that you got to worry about. But if if you were to ask a kid what their worst fear is, it would probably be, you know, what if my parents weren't there all of a sudden? And, you know, Disney just goes, they'd go the full Monty and they kill off the parents. And this one, you know, the older the kid is, the more they're going to get about the fact that, uh, you know, mom is potentially going to die here. 
And that's when Satsuki that's when Satsuki kind of loses it with May. Yeah. Right. When when she finally she's she's so um you know, sisterly but really a little bit maternal. With the whole family, like she makes lunch. She gets up early and makes lunch for everybody and all that kind of right. stuff. But but the but you know, it's finally when she thinks May's acting like a baby that you really see the cracks and how worried she really is about her mom. Right. And it isn't like this, you know, lacrimose scene with you know unnecessarily soaring score or something like that. It's I, I thought that was completely authentic. I thought that was completely how yeah. that character would respond in that situation. And, and I think that's great because the, the little kids, the preschoolers watching this won't pick up on that at all. They'll just go, oh, mom's at the hospital and she looks perfectly happy and there's, you know, there's really nothing that wrong. She's going to come back in a couple of weeks. So it's pretty and healthy. The, the older kids will pick up on that. <laughs> very high, very high forehead. It's it's nice that they very. give the option for the kid to, you know, not necessarily see Bambi's mom get shot, you know. What Merlin said before is one of the, one of the keys to this movie. Uh, understanding this movie, I think, is that, and a lot of Miyazaki movies, but this more so than I think the other ones, is that a lot, a lot of the movies featuring children, including the Disney ones where they kill off the parents, are an excuse for them to tell regular adult stories, but merely insert child characters into leading roles so that the audience can identify with them. Uh, where they'll have that they get rid of the parents because that that removes that complication of that angle of like people who tell you what to do every day and tell you to put your socks on and stuff like that, because that frees the characters up to basically be small. Uh, slightly less powerful adults and they relate to each other and the other characters like adults and they do adult things throughout the course of the movies just that they're smaller it's like YA fiction where you have young adults so that the readers can relate to them when they're that age but they're really just doing adult type things the kids in this movie act like kids of the appropriate age and you can't have kids of that age do things like go on an amazing adventure like Castle <laughs> in the Sky and have the wherewithal, like, because they're not motivated by discovery and redeeming the spirit of their father who found this cat. Like, that's not how kids that age think. It just isn't, right? These kids in this movie are exactly age appropriate, which maybe you don't realize until you have kids who pass through these exact ages and you're yeah. like, right. That, and the, and the little kids it. impersonating the big kid all the time and wanting to, you know, that, that read totally true to me. So the great yeah. scene here about these two girls that that I think uh, says a lot and maybe doesn't get the attention it deserves is the um, May the the younger daughter um, insists on coming to school and cries and cries and cries until Granny who is the nice lady who's I guess renting them the house uh, uh, brings her to the school and uh, Satsuki goes out to get her and the entire class watches. This drama unfold, and in the end, May spends the rest of the day sitting in Satsuki's classroom. And it's just such a great scene because it's, you know, the younger sister has had a temper tantrum. The lady doesn't know what to do, the babysitter. Uh, and and in the end, the sister sort of like tries to explain to her what's going on and then realizes she's just got to take her under her wing for the day. And what I like about it, too, is there's no real consequence to that. The teacher is supportive of it, and the rest of the students think it's really cool that her little sister came, and they, and they say nice things when they leave at the end of the school day. And it's just... It's again, you could look at that and say nothing happens, but you know, I think it's great in portraying that relationship and also just dealing with a, a kid who's having a temper tantrum and who has got their mind made up and there is nothing you can do to change their mind. My favorite kid being kid scene, which I'm pretty sure I talked about when we did the Miyazaki episode, is the uh, Kanta, the boy 
who is not of the age where he notices girls quite yet, but is kind of on the cusp of that. Yes. And the, the way that manifests itself <laughs> is him communicating with a series of grunts. Yes. And like whenever he sees her not wanting to do anything, he's ever thrusting the item that he has. Like, here's the umbrella. Mm, mm, take it. And then running away, dropping it on the ground and running away. And as he runs away, there's a big smile on his face. When she brings the umbrella back to the house, he hides because like the whole concept of her being there is embarrassing to him. He hides. Yes. And when his, when his mother asks him, what did you do with the umbrella? He doesn't say he gave it to her because that would be embarrassing. Like all of his actions. And, you know, when someone says, oh, who is that at the door? And he says, no one, but he's happy and he's playing with his plane. He doesn't have a way to even understand this relationship. He just has like these visceral reactions to it. And he acts like, like, like a crazy person, you would think. Like, not like, <laughs> not like a male character in any, but that's how kids that age yeah. act. Like, you see it, you know, you see it. My real, son totally down, acts like that. Right down to the grunts. You're like, oh, yep. come on. No one thrusts something at you and grunts. No, no, boys do that. They yep. do. They, they exactly, you know, and if you, and if you. <laughs> I also buy that he's right at that age where he, as you say, like he's, he's confused about this, but also think about the fact, again, maybe I read too much into these things, but he's a country mouse. He's a kid who, who works in a rice field. And this girl from this really cute girl of his age, who's by probably by country standards, pretty sophisticated, um, comes out and is living there. And he's <laughs> he has to take all of that in at one time. And she is more sophisticated because girls tend to mature faster and she right. is more articulate and able to like that is also appropriate because like girls that age compared to the boys that age makes the boys that age look like, you know, Neanderthals because <laughs> they are and the girls just seem, you know. Although she does right rightly react by just sticking her tongue out at him and uh, you know, giving it back, which is good to see. But for all for all those things they they don't have to lean on the accelerator to tell us any of those things. We we may my reading of it may comes to school because she's having a really hard time dealing with this change. Oh yeah, and Sasuke's the only. But they don't. But they don't have to go in. There's not like a. Uh, there's not like a song. About Tell me that. how you feel, right? <laughs> or the, the little boy that doesn't have to be some kind of a, a flashback or you know an interior <laughs> monologue while he plays with this plane. Like we get that. You right. know all the things when, as nothing is happening in this moving movie. Everything is happening with these people trying to figure out these little bits of their lives, which is then only amplified by these, this crazy animism that's going on. But, you know, you could watch this and go, oh, this is a fantasy movie, which it certainly is in a lot of ways. But the part that grounds that and makes it more than, I don't know, Kung Fu Panda or something, is that is that this is nothing against the pandas, but, but is, is that it really is grounded in, again, uh, John, in these relationships. how many toes do pandas have? Panda versus Totoro. I, I think the thing that uh, really struck me <clears throat> that struck me the most about uh, how more, how much more generally authentic these kids were than the usual kids you see in animated films was the tears on May. They weren't like it wasn't like one sad little teardrop pouring down her face. She, you see it twice. You see it when she's taken to the school because she's thrown her temper tantrum, and you see it at the end when she's lost. And it's it's just like this smudged face, tears pouring down her face, <laughs> and there's snot coming out of her nose. Yep, and that's. So much more authentic than than the tears that you generally see in a film like this, and it, it was a very small, subtle thing, but it really kind of uh, impressed me with just how how much more authentic it was. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So, in all these anime episodes, 
we or at least I always end up slamming Western movies and you know like it's like oh everything's better in Japan and they do these things but like the things that stand out as a Westerner watching Japanese movies are the things that are different and one of the things that I think stands out in this movie and getting back to like the kids being more authentic is the the fearlessness or, or the the different way in which they tell the story so the thing I took notes when I watched it the second time one of the things I noted is that 22 minutes of this movie go by before anyone says anything to indicate that the mother is in the hospital. Before that, you don't know, is there a mother? Is right. she dead? Is she coming later? Not a single, not like, oh, you might miss it or, or they don't emphasize it. They literally say nothing about the mother not being there until 22 minutes into the movie. Whereas if you made this movie as a Western movie, especially given what I think is the overall theme of this movie, the mom being sick would be the framing device. Like that would be either running under the credits. Yeah, it, would be like, it would be like Citizen Kane. It would be in media res where you would start out with like her on a bed, like near death. Or there'd be dialogue, or they'd be getting out of the truck, and it'd be like, "Well, when your mother, until your mother gets out of the hospital, kids, <laughs> where she is near death." They would have to frame it that way, and like it's and it's and, and by Western standards, like, oh, that's bad storytelling because if your whole movie is about this thing, you can't not mention it until twenty-two minutes into a ninety-minute movie or however long it is, like because once that's mentioned, then the previous twenty-two minutes that you saw changes meaning, and I think that is true, but I think like that kind of type of boldness allowing you to settle into the movie before really letting you know what what it's about it's something like uh, uh, movies for adults in the west won't do that they have to have the stupid voiceover and the dialogue and the you know and the big dramatic opening scene and then the stupid title card that says 36 hours earlier like no one wants to <laughs> let you go into, through 20 minutes of the movie before say oh by the way the mom's in the hospital in case you didn't know that in, in our house we always about. say uh, the exposition light is on and then we make this little bloop yeah. bloop bloop thing with <laughs> the, with our hands but i think you're i think you're totally right it's 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 luxurious in its pace in some ways, and you may not realize how much has happened until you go, oh, okay, I, that was actually kind of leading up to something. But you know, again, one of my favorite scenes, one of the like three times I cry in the movie, is when they when they do find May, and she's standing there, and what is it? At least in the dub, Satsuki says something like, uh, "Oh, you were taking that corn to mom," and uh, and May goes, "Mm-hmm." And like, there's just, to me, there's so much conveyed, and and you know, I'm not doing it justice, but in that one little scene, after all of this. Really, the biggest dramatic part of when they find the sandal. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, you know, when 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 my daughter's uh, friend came over and we watched this, we had to do that. I did that thing because I'm overcompensative. Like, listen, hey, listen, you know, this part turns out okay. Don't worry. But for a minute, it looks like she drowned. You know, yes. <laughs> but that the we're, the the relief has come. We've just gotten through this like amazing the cat bus thing when the, with the tree and everything with the Totoro. You may not realize how luxurious this, the movie has been until there's this explosion of activity at the end. That's just so fantastic in the true sense of the word. And then when when Satsuki may have that one tiny little exchange. It's like I was just like, ah, oh, this is this just pulls it all together. But it's so subtle. They didn't have to say, Oh, you understand the animism and importance of uh, mm-hmm. you know, animated druid plants in Japan. And thus you <laughs> want to take these things for nourishment from a mother who has tuberculosis, which is a kind of a respiratory disease. <laughs> yeah, but here's another subtle thing that most people uh, don't notice because like at this point I think adults especially start to check out is why is it that May decides to go take the corn to the mother in the hospital. Like, if you think back to the movie and you've seen it once or whatever, you're like, oh, like, she just decided to do that because she had the corn and the lady told her that it will make her better and stuff. But but there's an inciting incident. They just, mm-hmm. it's not just, like, spelled out with a, a, a shot from 12 different angles or whatever. 
it's when her older sister breaks down about the idea of her mother not coming out. May sees her older sister breaking down about her mother, and May's personality is such that she, like, you see this little, go watch it again. It's like it's like my, you know, Leia glancing the knowing look at Vader in the carbon scene. Just, <laughs> it's not on on very long, but watch it again. She sees her sister breaking down and Nanny comforting her, and that's the last straw for her, and May's little face gets set, and she's the stubborn and determined is her little personality, which, again, is another great aspect of accurate representation of children you can see their little personalities like from a ridiculously early age so we know how may is going to grow up right she once she sees her sister breaking down she's like that's it i'm fixing this problem i'm taking this corn to mom that's what makes her leave up at that point like they're all back at their house everybody's fine but she cannot stand to see her older sister lose it like that and not yelling at her but like being sad about it then she realizes oh my sister is sad too all right it's up to me now i have to fix this problem and she sets off right well her sister who has been the strong one through the whole thing is now suddenly weak and so she takes over yeah and like it it's just that type of thing where they there's no dialogue there's no 17 scenes there's no like you know musical cues talk about the musical cues lots of the dramatic moments in this movie and they do this in kiki as well do not have any music in them. The music goes away yes. when when these dramatic things happen. When the telegram comes and everything. Well, there's silence when they first look. They first look at the camphor tree, and of course, I mean, to me, the one thing that's so amazing about every Miyazaki movie that I've seen, like five of them, I guess, is is the second you hear like three totally different music cues in the movie, you feel like you've heard that song a thousand times. And when they go to the tree, there's like silent, you know, at one point there's some silence and you see the leaves rustling and they have dung, 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 which is, I mean, it, it's, it's a little, little ping pong, but it's incredibly memorable. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, all of those, I mean, like the march yep. at the beginning and, and the way, uh, like to me, that comp- this weird combination of the scoring and the background painting have a wonderful impact on the rest of the movie and all of these movies. There's, it, there's, it's so rich um, the way that they work together. But you're right. When I watched, when I was watching the um, subtitled version, I, I was, I thought my audio had gone out. There were a couple times when there's just silence. Yeah, when May sets out on her little corn mission, no music. When the telegram comes and they're reading it, no music. Wow. Like, they, like they, they punctuate the dramatic moments by like. Like, there are lots of silent passages, but then, like, the music comes back in. And, like, when you're expecting it to come back in... There's no, like, like like stuttering minor chord cellos or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> and when you're expecting it to come back in, all of a sudden it doesn't come back in. And the lack of it coming back, it's like, it's the notes they don't play, you know? Like, it's, it, it, it works. I mean, it's not, it's not a... Uh, a revolutionary effect but like you would think people would use it more often and here it is in a kid's cartoon understanding how to emphasize the drama of a drama of a situation without having like big bass drums or cymbals clanging with the opposite but having no music at all and even when the music comes in like that that theme this is not music that's like over the top bombastic score that's it's very you know nice and gentle like the rest of the movie Uh, and then even that they cut away one of the things we've we've been talking about is why why do you have this attraction to movies uh, like this that as Westerners were watching this movie from Japan, and I think we've said that part of it is being open to the possibilities of other ways of telling stories that we we we've seen so many as adults we've seen so many different ways of telling stories in the styles that are popular here and then when you're when you're seeing something like a Miyazaki movie and you realize that rules that we thought were rules are not hard and fast rules and that in fact there are, are ways to tell stories successfully that break those rules and that's one of the exciting things about this when i said nothing really happens i mean in some ways lots of things happen but but there's no antagonist really the antagonist here what i i mean the episode we did 
about all the Miyazaki movies was number 84, and I called it Wind is the Enemy, which was my line about who the antagonist is in Kiki, the, Kiki's Delivery Service. It's the wind, because the wind causes trouble. And in this movie, the, the antagonist is like the mom's tuberculosis, is the only antagonist, I think, that exists that ear of corn I, I, the rain i mean there's there's none the, the, the antagonist is this the actual antagonist in the lives of all children the age of the children in this movie and as anyone who has children the age in this movie knows what the mortal enemy of children is deviation from the status quo right. and the status quo mm. is i have a mother she's alive she takes care of me and now the status she, quo she has brushes been, my has hair been, yeah. has been disrupted and no matter what that no matter what that status quo is any disruption to it because that the happy ending of this movie is essentially return to the status quo for these girls their mother comes like as soon as the title card comes up like the song is over everyone's happy to deliver the thing the very next thing you see the first credit uh, title card is Mom's coming home in the taxi. Status yes. quo restored. Finally, my life as I've known it for all these three years or five years or seven years or whatever, finally it's back to the way it was. And that that constitutes a happy ending. Not quite the same because they're in the countryside, but see, that's what that's where somebody we something we haven't talked about a lot. That's where the the Totoros come in, right? Because I was just to- gonna say we're fifty six minutes in, uh, I- and maybe <laughs> no, 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 no. I just want to say maybe this is a, a parent thing. Is yeah. I think it's wonderful that we made it fifty six minutes into this conversation without talking about the most remarkable part of it in some ways, which is that wonderful, you know, big, you know, giant blue, not sloth character. Not sloth. Yeah. I I love, he's got like a big cat, but I love um, it. Rabbit cat. So the Totoros are, they're welcoming them into the forest, right? These are forest spirits and they're out in the forest. They're in the countryside. And that's, that's that part of the story is, is them adapting to this new place that they're living. And then there's the story with the mom. So it's not quite status quo, uh, just about the mom. Well, right? in the in the in the important ways, right? Like in the important ways, like uh, my mother not being there is the 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 initial sure. the exciting incident, the initial disruption, and having mom back because at that point the the new house is a status quo. As we all know, like kids will get used to a new routine pretty quickly, but getting rid of your mother is the type of thing you don't get used to that easily, if at all. That's right? definitely the problem to be solved or not in this. But the Totoro, I guess, I guess my point about talking, wanting to talk about the Totoro now too, which we should probably do, is is they are the welcoming of into this new world. They're saying we're the spirits of this forest. And I imagine that there is a whole lot of animism and, you know, Japanese culture stuff here that I don't understand. And I can't even judge whether when the father does the thing where he thanks the the trees and all of that. As a, as a, an American, I can't even judge whether that's the father being a little <laughs> bit goofy to make the daughters feel good, or whether that is something that has all sorts of connections to Japanese culture that I just don't understand. <laughs> the tree, the tree, he'll pay attention to. Yes. But his his daughter can treat him like a flower shop and I don't know where she for is. five hours. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, but like where even she that is. little speaking of that little scene, that, that rang true for me too, but despite the fact that he's neglecting his daughter. Like when you try <laughs> to get work done and your and your little daughter comes up and says, You're at the flower shop now and lines up, that's what kids do. You yes, try totally, to get work done, totally. they will do yes, that. I like, just don't ev- let them run off for eight hours after yeah, that. Eventually the daughter disengages <laughs> and he doesn't follow her, which is probably a mistake, but yeah. Okay, so we should talk about the Totoro uh, if we have things to say about them. I obviously they're they're cute. They're very cute and they're fun and there are three of them, which is all I, I always thought thought that was an amusing interaction that they come in the three sizes and and they all you know there's a one that's kind of more like a bunny and the one that's kind of more like a cat and they don't say anything other than you know and uh, 
you know, but there, and there's lots of merchandise. You can buy a Totoro. You can get a big stuffed Totoro. You can get a Totoro mug. Um, and, and although they're not kind of the point of the movie, as we've been talking about all along, they are, they are what the movie, it's the title. This is the fantastic element. You know, what, what is the, uh, what is the appeal of these guys? I mean, other than that they're cute and that they don't know what an umbrella does. My, my meta theory for the entire movie is that uh, everything in this movie is about how children deal with the fact that their mother isn't there. And every, every thing in the movie, including the Totoro and all the other things, is a manifestation of things that are inside these children that they have no facility to understand uh, at all, right? And a lot of the things that the, these feelings that the children are, ha- are having and these desires that they have and everything manifest in these fantastical ways. And in the same way, when a child is watching this movie, they don't know that the Totoros and the stuff these children are fantasizing about and the soot sprites, they don't know what part of the the internal life of the child those things are coming from or represent or are a mirror image of. They just know that, oh, that guy's cute or, oh, soot sprites are fun or whatever. Like even the soot sprites, which is the easiest one of like kids going into a place that are afraid of the dark and the dark can become sort of this thing that's alive, right? Well, in a child's mind, it is alive. So what if we just had a living thing that was basically like darkness manifested in these little soot things that you're initially scared of and then you get used to it and they leave or whatever? Kids aren't going to make that connection, but they I feel like they will connect with the soot sprites as something they recognize. In the same way, Totoro is a big, cute, fuzzy thing, but the Totoros, especially the big, humongous one, the smaller one, going the, the big, humongous Totoro is like that feeling about your mom not being there and maybe she might never come back, made manifest in this big, giant thing. And kids don't aren't going to make that connection when they watch it, but I would think that they would get some sort of unease about the idea of the mother being in the hospital, depending on what kind of kid they are and how old they are, and that this big Totoro thing, I, I don't know about you, uh, Merlin, but like my daughter was very scared when... Uh, by the scene where they meet the big Totoro the first time she saw this movie. Granted, she was like two and a half or whatever. With the growling but, and the big teeth. Yeah, because he's yeah, got yeah. a big he's mouth huge. and it's filled and it's filled with teeth and everything. And uh, you know, a lot of the things in Miyazaki movies are like that, where like the goat that wants the corn. They draw that goat as a pretty scary looking goat, yeah, like with totally big creepy. teeth and a realistic looking face and stuff like that. And if an adult watches, they're like, this is a big fuzzy thing, and it made noises, and then it was a goat. Nothing, right? But a little kid watches it, and that goat is terrifying. The Totoro opening his mouth is terrifying. So here oh, it totally. is. Again, they don't understand that this is the embodiment of the children's fear about their mother, but they do know there's actually something a little bit scary about the thing. And then eventually they come around to it being a little bit friendlier. Like, everything magical and interesting is also all scary to both the children in the movie and the children watching the movie. Creepy! Creepy! To, to piggyback on that, yes, I, I think that's a really good... Um, unified field theory of Totoro. Um, but but here's the here's the other thing that's interesting. And again, you know, uh, my daughter has seen this movie a bunch of times. It's one of our one of our go tos. It's it's up there uh, with, with the uh, with the Incredibles as one of our like. Well, if we can't agree, we'll definitely watch this, and everybody will be like pretty okay, happy. But but you know, but again, when we have the, our our guest over, and she hadn't seen the Soot Sprites before, she hadn't seen what happens after May looks under the house. She hadn't seen what you know. Th- I guess what I'm getting at is they're they're part of part of the beauty of this movie is i don't know if this is a japanese thing or a miyazaki thing gosh think about mom the character of mom in um i'm sorry there's so many different uh castles in uh is that castle in the sky the one where she rides the motorcycles right you know what i'm talking about the one with the um, pirate the pirate mother you mean oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't that castle in the sky yeah. or you yeah, know every every one of mother. these movies 
has these, well, there's so many themes, obviously flying. There's so many things that go through all of these movies, but there are so many things that, uh, first of all, yes, that a parent and a child will watch and get a really different vibe from. Like when, um, not Kiki, but what's uh, Howl's Moving Castle? Um, When she first walks down that alley and those two guys are, are talking to her and it becomes obvious before Hal comes up and kind of saves her that, wow, that those guys are more than creepy. Like those guys are predators. Like the, a kid might watch that and go, oh, like those are probably bad guys who are like giving her a hard time. As a parent of a daughter, I watched that scene and went, whoa, like yeah. that's wild. Whereas a little kid might watch this and – I guess as an you know in America we're so used to being banged over the head with the threat of death being right around the corner. I mean, the, basically, that death death is the card that gets played in so many things, including with the parents and in movies. But in this case, uh, and I don't know where this comes from, but again and again in this movie and so many Miyazaki movies, we see that there's really it's just something we don't understand yet. It's something that's mysterious, and it could end up being enchanting. It could stay creepy. But it, it is something that we can't completely understand. And you know what? By the time we get it, you know, an hour and a half later, we still won't really understand what happened. And we, we, may, we may be scared. We may be happy. But it, we, it's not resolved. And, and I think in a typical – again, not, not to beat up on non-Miyazaki movies, but in a lot of movies, there is this, this need to uh, artificially um, close a lot of loops – because it's it's essential to the story that those be closed. So, like, do we really understand, like, why did the tree go, go away after the dream? Well, it doesn't matter. What matters is that there's something important. And just back to the corn for a second. I think one of the reasons the corn thing started is when they're picking the corn, doesn't Granny say something about that That's all these nutritious. vegetables are going to be yeah, good. Make your, it'll, right. it'll make your it's mom healthy. Yeah. It plants, the, plants the seed in a little kid's head. You don't yes. notice what you're saying, but the, kid, the kids remember, right? I, that's exactly right, John. And you end up playing this um, juvenile game of telephone where a little kid you know, is trying to understand the world and, and ends up trying to make these connections. But in this case, things like the soot sprites, yeah, that turns out it's really cute and it's, it's really funny, but, but there's no need to go either like, okay, first of all, the soots are totally, like the soot, the, soot, the soot gremlins are a hallucination because you're a crazy little kid. No, that's not accurate. Your father says they might be real, and you have stuff on your hands. What? Do, do we ever resolve where those actually soot sprites on their hands? Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, where the Totoro is real? I, I don't know. She got to the hospital. <laughs> but to, that would be maddening in most movies. You know, like if you watched a James Bond movie and, like, didn't understand, like, how he got across, you know, from one continent to the other, it would drive you crazy. Well, he, and, he stepped into a phone booth and put in a coin, and then the booth turned into a giant pig, <laughs> and the pig was suddenly in another country, and then it was not a pig, and he was in that country. You'd be like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, and the sign by the mice light uh, turns booth. into Goldfinger Place. Yeah. Yeah, they do, in Western movies, when they do that, they go way over the top, and they make, okay, let's make it clear here that this is all, like, the... the taking place in the mind of a child and there are, it's a totally fantastical and it's amazing the colors like they, and they, the cinematography they, will they be never different. want to do something like this that's like more or less straightforward reality but with these fantastical elements made all that they stick out all the more because everything else like the house looks like a real house the bicycle looks like a real bicycle people are doing real jobs they're they're farming for rice in the real way it's period accurate for that places in japan you know and then there's like a cat bus right and th- that like i feel like i've sounded this movie to a lot of adults who were not prepared and they disengage adults disengage from this movie because they said oh this is just some silly thing for kids it makes no sense because they you know they they decide it's not a coherent narrative 
But I think it's entirely coherent as a representation of how children that age actually live, where the line between what's real and what's fantasy, like it's not the the, the cat bus is rendered just as realistically as the people, you know, planting the rice in the fields, because as far as the kid's concerned, they're both equally valid, real, totally like they don't know what's weird because they just know what they experience. And so these fantastical like, you know, was it a dream? Did it happen in real life? Like doesn't matter like that their whole life is like that everything in their life is a blur of things that might be real and representative of the way the world works and things that might be just a story that your dad read you yeah my my uh we just did a my son's open house and he's in third grade and uh, uh i was looking at his work for the year and he has all these things and he does this around the house too where you take a, a real element and then he sort of like spins these uh these what ifs like in fact uh his teacher said that uh his reading comprehension probably is higher than his score would indicate because he gets so caught up in it that he just begins like riffing on and then what about this and then what if this happened and then what if this happened and then you're kind of gone it's like he's into fantasy land and i look at a scene even just a scene like that the famous scene where they're waiting at the bus stop and the, and the giant totoro is there uh, that's like, well, what if you were waiting at the bus stop and you had an umbrella? Well, what would, what would the, what would the Totoro have? Would he have anything? Maybe he has a leaf on his head. Well, what if we gave him an umbrella? Would he know what it was? What would he do? What, what if he jumped up and down and a bunch of water fell on, you know, just like, whoa, we're just going to keep going with it. And, and that's, uh, you know, when I describe these movies to people or I use this a lot in this podcast, um, I use the word charming, which I, I, I don't use in real life actually, but on mm-hmm. this podcast, I use it a lot, which is there's that moment where you're under the spell and you're having a good time and it kind of doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, these, the Miyazaki movies, especially they're, they're so strong with the charm that it doesn't, you know, I just enjoy being in the world. I like looking at the at the backgrounds. I like the the shot of the water where you can see the stuff that's down in the running water as it as the as the the the, the water rushes over uh, as they're walking to the house. It's just this incredible detail uh, that you don't normally see in in animation. And then even with the things like the the how the Totoros behave after you realize that the big Totoro isn't going to eat her. Um, they're just they're just friendly and charming and you're enjoying this experience and it does it does it always have to be advancing a story and there there don't always need to be threats and evil people who are you know conflict is a, a very important part of drama this is true but it doesn't always have to be and it, drama and this is this is that it's just kind of charming and pleasant and it's nice to be there and, and I mean that's that's why that's why it works for me it's funny you mentioned that because I'm I'm looking at my notes right now and the second note right after the one that just says what just happened <laughs> <laughs> says totally charming. Ah, look at that. I was I wanted to de- debrief you since you're a you're a newbie to this to to how how you experienced this and what the hell you thought when you were done with it because it's like what's happening? Is anything happening? Well, that was nice. Well, yeah, I watched the whole thing with this gigantic smile on my face because you really can't help it. It it is totally charming. I mean, the two girls, the creatures, every everybody's pretty much adorable. The dad is even adorable, although clearly uh, either insane or or hoping that his kids die. He's delusional. He, you know, he might be he why is she's the flower sick. store. That's what parenting was like back then. It was different. You know, and and, and I feel like the, the scene time. where they're they're outside on the tree uh, when both of the girls are are hanging with the totes. Oh, I love that. Uh, and they're they're making the plants grow. I, I feel like when he looks out the window there, he actually kind of sees them because he is completely insane. <laughs> now the word the word I would use instead of charming, uh, uh, it was tying to this, this theme that I see in a lot of anime is that. 
a lot of anime is about the sensory experience of events more than the events themselves. And a lot of the things that we end up labeling as charming are scenes in which the camera or the script or whatever focuses on sensory elements more than uh, exposition or events or even character development. So there, like, if you go through Totoro and just you can just freeze frame on seventy different scenes where why is the scene in the movie again? Because it shows the light reflecting off the little waterfall. Yeah. Why is the scene in the movie again? Because it shows how shiny an acorn is and how it rolls on the table. Like there. You know, and sometimes it's much longer. Like, like God, that's really true. I hadn't thought of that. It's totally true. The the loud the loud sounds of the insects at night. Like, what happens in the scene? Like, they will bring you into sensory experiences that will that you will relate to just as much, if not more, than hey, remember when this happened to you? When you got into an argument, or when someone chased you, or whatever. This is like, hey, remember how how water looks when it's flowing over a broken bottle. Mm. Or yes. like when when May when May picks up the um, Satsuki makes you know lunch for everybody, and I, this time in particular, I guess I, I noticed there's a, just a, a short little shot of um, May picks up her I guess like a bento box. I guess she yeah. picks, she picks up her lunch and, and with the fish and the rice, and she like goes and she kind of makes a mmm face, and that's all there is to it. That, that, that's all there is to it. It's just a sensory experience, and maybe in again, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But you know, she's that's a little bit of home in, in that little box. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of little sensory things where people just pause and and you know just and I don't know the translation of this, but just May standing there and holding a rusty bucket in her hand. It's it's and, and then of course that that classic line. But she's holding this bucket in her hand, <laughs> and it's just a shot of her staring through a rusty bucket. And you get the sense, and I immediately saw in that because I'm a parent and I'm self involved, is the same way that my daughter would go and explore an area and pick up stuff that I would never in a million years pick up. And the way she's running around, that wonderful shot of her neglectful father looking at his botany books <laughs> while she runs around outside and is just doing nothing in particular, rings completely true. Because like like you say, John, um, I guess like kind of like we're all saying, is that you know this is this is being a being a kid being being a human being is about trying to tell some kind of a story about the world that makes sense and that where you get to be a main character. And you're trying to draw together these threads that may be completely unrelated. I mean, how many times did you guess the wrong lyrics to a song when you were a kid because you were just trying to, you know, get this thing right? I, you know, I, my daughter didn't understand. I guess it's a Shinto uh, when, the, when, the, when the girls are trying to get out of the rain. You know, and they're and they're and and Sasuke talks to the statue, and my daughter turns to me because she thinks that's real, that's a real person. And I said, "No, that's actually a." And then I realized I would have to explain this entire culture of you know worshiping dead relatives and stuff. You know, but but in this, there's just it's just these little things. You see a little kid standing in the rain, and it sounds so corny, but you know, kids experience whether it's an earache or a roller coaster or a large animal holding a leaf they experience everything so much more profoundly than we do they may not they may not you know have the nostalgia about it that we get but but kids feel things in a way much more in the moment and and, and fully i think than adults do and slowing this stuff down and putting it on these in these little tiny on small terms in these little tiny shots uh, i think can Make that come back to the surface for us too when we watch it because we see it in our kids, but we also remember that from being a kid and holding up a bucket and saying, "Stupid! What a stupid bucket!" Well, what a stupid bucket is that? The line in the dub? Yeah. Oh, what is it? What wow. is it in the original? Rusty bucket. She says. She says it's. A, this is a rusty bucket. I don't think she there's says a hole anything. in the bucket. I think is all she says. Yeah. She says this bucket is symbolic of. 
Yeah, in the bus stop scene, like when they're there, when the rain is going and the Totoro shows up, the, the key century part of that scene is like, and you could think back to when you're a kid or even now, when you have an umbrella over your head, there's a difference between the trickling rain and like the big drops of rain that shake off the yeah, tree. Yeah, it's all the sound. Sa- it's and, the sound. And how it, start, how it can be startling for a bunch of rain to come down and make that noise. And when you're a kid, you're like, maybe you're hearing that for the first time. There's, there's two different sounds that the rain can make on an umbrella. There's the drip, drip rain of the rain going to the puddles. And then there's when it shakes off of a tree because the tree collects larger drops and they slide off. And, you know, the Totoro takes advantage of that. And once he realizes that, that's, hey, that's an interesting sound, let's make more of that. That that's the sensory part of that and the drama in that scene is like, oh, here comes a whole bunch of water on top of it. And, and maybe you don't think about that until like you're, I don't know, having kids puts you in this mindset. Like you're at the bus stop with, with your kids and you're holding the umbrella and the kids are holding their umbrellas. And it's like the first time that they get to hold their own umbrella and the big droplets fall on their umbrella and they all get startled and then excited by it. You realize that this is a thing. And, you know, it, it's kind of cliche to say, oh, you know, the adults, we take for granted all these things. And then the kids let us reconnect with our blah, 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 blah. But like, that's part of what this movie is about. And it's it's accurate for the kids who are in the movie. But I think it's also a real experience that the adults watching again if they don't disengage can have by watching this movie you know one of the things that um they say about uh the reason kids can get obsessed with uh you know whether it's like pokemon cards or you know anything where they they want to they want to know everything about some little thing is that is that the world is so vast and unknowable and as you're a kid you realize that that you basically don't know anything about anything and one natural reaction to that is to become very knowledgeable in some small thing just whatever it is it's like i know everything there is about this like for my son right now it's minecraft he talks to me a lot about minecraft right and, and when i see the scene where they're waiting for the bus one of the other things that strikes me is that that's a scene where the the Totoro is the proxy, where the girls know about umbrellas, the right, and and they have to show him the umbrella, and it's and it's this nice thing where they're you know he's the he's the wood spirit, but they understand the the technology, and 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 you know he also has things to show them, but I, I like that that they're they're in this position where they're like oh here try this try this umbrella, and um and also by the way the whole is it a dream or is it real. Where's the umbrella go? Totoro takes the umbrella. Oh yeah, she actually notes that in the movie. Oh, he took Dad's umbrella. Yeah, Yeah, like that. That type of that scene spends a lot of time, like letting them being sitting there in the dripping rain before Totoro shows up. Yes, to sort of build it up to the point where you realize there's your kids and they're alone and it's getting dark and they're waiting for the dad who should have shown up already or hasn't. Exactly. Yeah, and it's and it's raining. That's why. That's why I love. I absolutely love that scene just because of the 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 way it's set up. I mean the just the exquisite loneliness of that single light and yes. then nothing else but the darkness of the forest all around there's no sound but for the rain dad hasn't come on the first bus and they're exactly not sure a why. bus comes a bus comes and it's not his and and, and, and then the, the getting on, comes by no. on the bike and it's you think for a second oh dad took a bike <laughs> we i have no idea where he got a bike but here he comes on the bike nope not mm-hmm. dad and may's getting sleepy may gets and, totally and yeah Satsuki right. is concerned about may getting sleepy because now yeah. you're gonna have a sleepy kid on your hands too and they're at their absolute most vulnerable in that scene and that's i think and that's that's why totoro shows up because right. like at that point at that point satsuki needs 
mm-hmm. needs that to get her through. Like the same way that, that May was more able to, you know, channel, you know, her her anxiety into this Totoro thing that later no one else could see that now May is uh, now Satsuki's there and she's got May and a lot of responsibility. I think you mean that's why Totoro chooses to appear to them then. Well, but that's the thing. It doesn't matter, which it doesn't really matter, which like I'm not married to one interpretation. Or the other. Both of them work perfectly well. And like sure. you don't you don't doesn't take anything from either one. Even when he does show up for, for whatever reason, um, you know, and he, he you look down and the thing we always notice, because we're Wolverine fans, uh, is his giant claws. She looks, yeah. she's got the umbrella is kind of concealing. And you look down and you see this horrific looking creature standing next right. to her. Well, that's where I got the sloth from, those enormous right. claws. Right, right, right. right. Oh, and it, it's so incongruous, too, because we've met these magical creatures in the tree, right? They're, they're tree spirits. They live in the trees. They collect acorns, all that stuff. And then it's so funny too let's not forget that too that when he shows up here it's it's like what i'm waiting for a bus he's waiting he's problem? literally waiting for a bus but but that <laughs> moment when they first what? see him it, it almost is it almost is shot like a horror film i mean you you the oh, but umbrella but then he takes scratches up most his of butt. the frame but yeah you, you just see this like this enormous claw kind of come in from the side <laughs> and sort of sneaking around the corner of the umbrella and it's it's it's, but but think about I mean uh, but all these there's all this um, little pendulum of like um, a little bit of scary and a little bit of relief it, you know it, it isn't like um, you know Freddy Krueger's gonna jump into your dream or something it's just a little bit of scary and then a little bit of relief so in this case I mean to me one of my favorite scenes and like one of one of my favorite animated gifs is when Totoro jumps. And, you know, at first it's kind of scary, though. You're thinking, is he mad? Is he, like, some kind of confused, incredible Hulk Cause, character? Because everything he says is very loud and deep, and that scares yeah. kids. but he's like, oh, is it that he's never been in rain, and, he, and he's angry? And you're like, what, what, what's going on with the rain? And then he jumps up in the air, like, the wonderful Totoro way, where he just jumps straight up in the air. And he comes down, and then and he's, Satsuki... Yeah, he's got that idiot grin on his face. Exactly! The, the Miyazaki grin. And then the... um. And then the, the girls, if memory serves, the girls, as if they're on a teeter board, go flying up in the air when he yes. hits the ground. And then all the rain comes down and you're like, oh my God, he's being playful. Like for no reason at all, he's being playful. Yeah, my favorite horrific scene in this movie is, the, I mean, the, again, with the goat and the other things. In Miyazaki movies, they will very frequently render some things startlingly uh, realistic pigs, in a way that's scary to children, but is accurate. And in this one, it's when the cat bus is in the tree with the girls at the end, they, they get to the hospital they're sitting up in the tree, looking down at the mom who's laughing. Everything's fine. And they show the shot of the cat bus in the tree with the two girls. And this cat bus has claws everywhere. Like, it's wrapped its multiple limbs around this tree. And it's just this giant, clawed, grinning heart with these two cute little girls sitting on a branch. <laughs> Freeze frame that sometime. It looks like something out of a nightmare. And that's because, again, when you're a little kid, a lot of things that are normal and that you're comfortable with still have this edge of, like, scariness about them because things things look weird oh totally look look at look at turnip head turnip head and how's moving castle has that same (laughs) like like at once delightful and completely disturbing like giant smile i you know i when i when i first moved to my neighborhood uh which has a lot of asian people in it i i was asking some friends of mine like it's really strange like nobody smiles around here when you meet them and i don't know if this is accurate but my my friend said well in um i guess i don't know if this is true but supposedly in in china uh, it, it, I don't know if it's considered a sign of weakness, but you like you wouldn't open your mouth, you wouldn't show your teeth, you wouldn't. It's just you, you remain kind of mute about it. And I, I don't know if that's that's applicable to here, but there's something really somebody who's smiling that much 
it looks like John Wayne Gacy. You it's know, up to it, something. It, yeah, yeah, they've, they've, they've got they've got to be up to something. But yeah. the other thing, I, you know, that's weird is like you notice the way that Satsuki is animated. The, she moves. She moves very confidently. She has this very kind of light footfall but she there's also kind of a weird hesitation to the way that she moves like when she she'll run a little bit and she'll stop and it'll be this weird hesitation and i I love the scene when she first steps onto the cat bus because let's be honest she's stepping onto a giant what eight-legged cat bus that has into a giant eight-legged the little little sound and she gets in but and then she she gets in and it's a cat like the floor gives she sits down and kind of scooches into the seat but which and, is and it breathes weird. when she's in it too. It's it super breathes. creepy, but it's again <laughs> creepy. creepy. For me, the, the most, <laughs> by far, the most disconcerting thing about the cat bus is towards the end when he jumps off the electrical wires, and you can very clearly see that it is a boy cat bus. Have you noticed? Oh, that? it's a it's a it's a tomcat bus. Oh wow. boy, is it ever! I did not notice that. I'm going to go uh, back. I said, huh. These are the sorts of things that I notice because I am a student of film. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Thanks, Steve. You, so yeah, you, you know, it speaks to a culture that's not yeah, concerned Steve, about. He brings fresh things. eyes, Jason. Fresh eyes. I he does. Well, but, at least they put May's head in front of the uh, the father's I know, crotch. I in noticed the bath that scene. too. That was, that was tastefully yes, done, artfully framed. Yeah. They, if if only they had done so for the cat. In in Japan, they just all get naked and take a bath together. Mm. Here, we don't do that. Uh, I don't think I don't think my kids found that disturbing because they're both all naked all over the house anyway. No, yeah. we're 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 yeah. I'm just, you know, I still I mean, a like, few questions about Japanese culture. For <laughs> when me, I was like, a little kid, I would have found that extremely strange. I mean, we have a different kind of household than than when I was a little kid. Thank God. But um, but but also, I mean, think about that. Think about explaining to your kid like, oh, wait a minute. So this house is is literally falling apart, regardless of the translation. This house is not in great condition. It may have it may have a variety of different ghosts. It's definitely mm. got acorns falling from the ce- ceiling and a really yep. creepy old lady in it. But it's got what two? <laughs> it's got two bathtubs and a, like a swingy door. They have an entire like it seems like a third of the house is dedicated to the bathroom, and that's yes. because, as at least in my understanding, in Japan, bathing can be a much more social experience. It's more than just washing yourself. It's like a hangout thing, right? Isn't, is that accurate? I'll, I'll no turn idea. to our anime Dad was manga it all hang expert out in the tub, as far as I could tell. He's all laid out. I think it's. I thought it was. I thought it was really sweet. That was one. I think one of the least confusing things to. I didn't. We didn't need to explain that. You know. <laughs> that, right. That's just like I like the fact that they're in the tub and and the uh, the, the wind is blowing in the house and the but house. Then is the father the father screams irresponsibly. Yes. Well, that's insanity. like to scare to, to scare away. He the, looks uh, insane the, when he does it, John. Don't you think he looks, looks a little crazy when he does oh, it? Oh, he's totally bent. I've pointed this out. He is completely off his rocker. I think that's a cultural thing, though. I'm just guessing. I have not. I have no idea. Insanity really is, in like, adult males? No, no. Like the the whole idea that you will that if you're that if you're scared that you will scare away the spirits by yourself being oh. fierce, and it's an activity to do with little kids who are scared to, you know, like oh, but if we just make loud noises, the scary right. spirits will go away. But but in general, it's like you're in a rickety house and it's really windy and. When it gets really windy outside, young children worry that the houses are going to fall down. Right. And in this case, with the shots from the outside, maybe the tin roof is going to come off or whatever. But like, just the sound design in that scene of like she's outside gathering wood and the wind blows out of her hand, and the difference in sound from going outside getting the wood to being inside, and the like the comfort of like now I'm inside the sheltered place and it's calmer, and then I'm in the bath with my dad, but then it's still all a little bit scary and the house shakes, but at least we're all here together. That's when she like rinses off and jumps back into the tub so she can be closer to her dad. That's all, I thought that was all very sweet and mm-hmm. probably yeah. probably would come off as more creepy if done, if done in a Western movie. Creepy! 
<laughs> you know, I don't. I'm, I'm sorry, the translation's wrong, but I, I love that scene. I love that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good dub. Like, I, it has characterizations. The other one that stands out for me in the dub is uh, the part where they make up a description of the like. Uh, you're hearing Sotsky's voice as the mother reads her letter. Oh, here's a picture of May as a crab. May as a crab. Which I is love not, that. Which is not. It was like it has to do with like her squatting down in front of the plants in the in the, the sub. Uh, and, and assuming the sub is accurate, but in the dub, it's like, oh, she's getting crabby, and here's a picture of her as a crab. Like, w- when they choose to, in, in the in the dub, make a different joke than was in the original movie, if the different joke is also funny, thumbs up. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it has to be a slavishly uh, translated from the original Japanese, and I think the, the delivery, like the delivery on creepy is adorable, I think, which is why we keep repeating it. And things like, here's a picture of May as a crab. That line cracked me up the first time I saw the dub. And I still smile when I see it. So it's not as if you have to, you know. My daughter still, my daughter still points it out every time, which means, you know, it's, it, it's made an impression. Yeah. I, wh- what about, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's your show. But, but, but well. for, for me, this all really starts to come together. There is the, like, I think it, admittedly, like, like the really dramatic idea that, like, there's a moment where we're not sure what's going on with May. But. I, for me, like it's all of that slow burn and, you know, the intellectual payoff of this. Um, I don't know. There's the, when, when, when finally, when she finally goes and she's asking the Totoro for help, it's, it's that everything from then on in the movie is, is not merely like intellectually satisfying. And as we say, charming, it's completely exhilarating to me when he, when he jumps up out of the tree, I just want to pump my fist. I'm like, this is so cool. And you know what I mean? When he, he, he puts the clawed hand around her and goes straight up the tree and, and calls the cat bus. And it's just one thing after another, after that, I, I just find that they pass over the people that are looking for may. It's just, I, I think it's wonderful. Here's, well here's a bit that I, that I actually would call charming is when the two the cat bus finds May and the two of them uh, run from opposite sides in the front of the cat bus's face and the eye the eyes follow the children oh, yeah. independently and they meet in the middle and that little cat bus goes cross eyed that and the other little cue of like you know they find the corner of the window sill it says oh it looks as uh. too mommy and then they cut to the the scene of the cat bus running in profile which is the one time they do kind of a, a bombastic musical crew and the cat bus is just running and they're both on it and they're both smiling and they're both on the fuzzy cat seat. Like who doesn't want to be inside a fuzzy cat? Perfectly contented that your mom is okay. <laughs> as the music plays, as you race through yeah. the field, like That'll it, do. Is, it is the ultimate, you know, the ultimate high for a five and two year old girl. But I hope that what they're doing is going, and this is what bothered me. They're sitting there at the hospital. I mean, obviously what's important to them is that they check up on mom. Meanwhile, there's a whole they're, city they're, behind they're dragging the lake that thinks the child is dead and they're trying to find her body still. Yeah. That, that, that is the, the darkest part of this movie for me, is, and the kids don't notice it, is that they're, they're searching the pond with poles. Yeah. And yeah. I think kids think that they're, gonna, they're searching for the girl to find them. No, they're searching for May's her body. Because right. you don't find anything in a lake with a pole that's alive. No. No, that that's that dark. That's the darkest spot of this entire movie is, is that moment of like, well, maybe she drowned. Yeah, and and like and Satsuki running as the sun sets with her dirty knees and mm-hmm. taking off her shoes and like you just feel like yeah. again you can, you can like really feel her heart beating. You know, you know? How, how long how how long have you lost one of your children? Like I've the longest I think I've lost my kids for maybe is like three minutes and 20 yeah. seconds or something oh, but that three minutes and 20 seconds is like i mean i know it's not the same thing but i had I had, I had 30 seconds 30 seconds at a target two weeks ago that i thought i was gonna have a heart attack my son disappeared on us at uh universal islands of adventure 
he was playing in one of the uh, one of the play areas, and it's the one right by the raft ride. And he disappeared on us and was gone for it must have been twenty to thirty minutes before we located wow. him. And, he, and by the time I found him, he was uh, maybe uh, halfway around the park. You know, it's just kind of set up in a big circle. Wow! Absolutely terrifying. And you wow, know, did he we, have some corn? He did not have <laughs> corn. I wish he had. I could have used some corn after I found that would have been good. Yeah, it's it it is. Uh, but yeah, yeah that right. scene definitely resonates having having just gone through that fairly recently because you know mm-hmm. it was the raft ride. Well, your mind your mind goes. I mean, like it's like <laughs> he could easily have toppled in. Nobody would have heard it because it's fairly loud through there. And ooh. my my wife was in a part of town today where. Um, the uh, find my friends like she wasn't getting a signal and it said this is where she was one hour ago and I immediately thought she was dead yes because that's exactly where your head oh, goes I've done that yeah yeah it's exactly where your head goes like like okay so uh, in this case a minute ago um, my kid was looking at um, at war machine masks in in the toy section I said let's go I took a few steps and now I'm pretty sure like she's in Thailand now there, or there are Japanese farmers with poles. exactly exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I realize we're probably running a little longer. We're running. We're running out of time. Yes. Right, but go ahead. I just want to. I, I don't want to dwell. I mean, the thing is, I feel. I feel s- silly now because I've considered myself a scholar of this film. Uh, or really, maybe a, I don't know, a fan or super fan. But now I realize how much, how different it is. Uh, in the as uh, as uh, Sentinel Syracuse would say, the sub versus the dub. Um, the father. Wow, so different. The mother, my my wife does a couple really good impersonations. She does a great impersonation of um of uh well, all you need to know here is she does a great impersonation of the mother from um from this movie. You know, her really super weird line in the dub about like, oh, I want to get, I'm going to get better and come home. Yeah. And she, and, and like in an American movie, normally you'd hear someone speaking like that and you go, oh my God, they're so going to die and they're crazy. And, and the mother, the mother in the, in, in the non-dubbed version is so much more sane. She sounds so yeah. much more normal. The Satsuki sounds younger uh, than in the dub. The father, yeah. uh, uh, he sounds like maybe not quite as smart and a little sterner, equally crazy. But anyway, I I, I don't want to dwell she on that. Seem but terribly sick, to be honest. I think she just wants a break from her insane husband. And her <laughs> yeah, what's she What's she writing when they okay. come in? What's she writing? Is it in her journal? What is she writing? What is she writing? Remember when they they come in and she's yeah. scribbling something in a notebook? I'm just saying there might be something it's going like, on here. Dear Dear Diary. I am so glad I am not at that house. (laughs) My husband is so irresponsible. I hope the kids aren't dead, but I'm glad to finally have two minutes to myself. yells in the tub. My kids brought me more corn. I hate corn. Why (laughs) do they keep bringing me corn? Some sort of rotted out house next to Here come the farmer sticks. (laughs) That's the sort of thing he'd do. That's it. I had a dream tonight of a monster that lives in the trees and kills things. <laughs> Where's my corn? I hope we have none of that. It's really all the mom's story. It's her. It's yeah. her dreams of of murder. It'd be funny if, like, even back in Tokyo, he was doing all this stuff, though. You know, he would just let her wander sure. around Tokyo and and worship a tree he found. Go down to the flower shop. Just work there for a while. So, um, Steve, before we go, yeah, uh, we made you. So we made you watch this crazy movie. Do you have any other any other thoughts about it other than? I mean, it seems like you had a pretty okay time. You know, like I said, I was charmed by it. I really enjoyed watching it. I'm still not sure how much I like it, to be hmm. honest. And maybe it's just that I'm I'm ruined by 
American films. You know, I've seen too many. Is this of your them. first? Mi- is it your first Miyazaki? My first Miyazaki at all. Wow. wow yeah, wow. It, it, you have, it's a long. It's a long ramp to figuring. And I think Totoro is actually the most challenging for adults because it doesn't conf- doesn't conform to anything. But like, I think it's the most pure Miyazaki movie in that once you've watched a whole bunch of them, you can kind of figure out where he's going with all his stuff. This is like the the sort of meditative distillation of it all. Like it's all there in the movie. Like, but it doesn't just doesn't seem like it is. It will. I think this movie is the type of thing that will unfold for you in an unconventional way over time if you give it a chance. And it does help to watch it repeatedly with kids who relate to it in a different way. But it's not. It's yeah. I, I think it's it's both the most challenging and the most pure of his movies because it it issues a lot of these stuff that we'd normally expect to have in a movie. And when that's all gone, all you're left with is this weird center and you just don't know what to do with it. And you just kind of bobble it in your hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, so for me, the problem is that uh, because so little seems to be happening at any given time, the closest point of reference for me is some of these preschool TV shows that come on where there's, I don't know, some sort of anthropomorphic creature and he just kind of wanders around and uh, you know, nothing much happens in those. And, and this almost felt to me like they took three of those episodes of some, you know, preschooler show and stuck them back to back. You know, there's the one where they move into the house and then, oh, there's the one where they frolic with the Totoro's. And, oh, totally. Oh, this yeah. is the one where May got lost and, and they just clamped them together. And on the second watch through, some of that had gone away and I, I think it will continue to as I watch it more. But the, the, I think the main thing for me is I'm going to have to... I'm gonna have to sit down and watch it with my kids and see what they think. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully they haven't been ruined by too much Disney. And well, and I think the the more I think the more you watch it, the more the superstructure of the like the the mother situation and the kids, the more like those mountains that are underneath this ocean of still water start to like you start to sense those mountains under the bottom. Like the ocean just looks like one big flat thing. We don't realize this huge mountain range is under there. And, it, and I think the more I watch this movie, the more. Like, because it's not a series of small little skits, even though it looks like one. There's this huge mountain range underneath the surface of all this stuff. And that, as I watch it over and over again, I just feel that thing underneath everything that's there. Yeah. More than the, the surface, stuff, which I continue to enjoy and it's fun and everything. But, like, that's what I think happens on repeated viewings is that I, I all I see now when I watch this movie is the little sensory moments and the underwater mountain range. And that's what I that's what I get when I watch this movie now. I did pick up on that stuff, but it was it's so subtle. That you know, maybe my yeah, maybe. you have to just keep watching. It's like the Big Lebowski. I, I would actually recommend. I've only seen I think four or five Miyazaki movies, but I, I mean, watching. I, I'm always disinclined to say, well, you know, you got to watch it five times. Um, see also Big Lebowski, but I, I mean, two two others off the top of my head. I mean, the No Duh is, is Spirited Away, which is really quite something, and really in some ways, really not for kids in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, very it's, bizarre. I, I it's think pretty, that one's pretty challenging too. It, like it is, it is, but, but I was gonna, I was gonna say that's the one. If you really want, like, wow, this is this is pretty, you know, bravura kind of stuff. But the other one, I would say, it's yeah, maybe it's a kids' movie, maybe it's not. But I would say, uh, Castle in the Sky is is you know, to me, like Howl's Moving Castle and Kiki's Delivery Service are two that are really great, smart kids ish movies. But Castle in the Sky is is a you know, maybe it's no Incredibles, but it's a really, I think it's a terrific adventure. Uh, story and again, the kids in it are are pretty great. I'm um, Kiki's Delivery Service, right? Are, are you that sanguine about sending your 13 year old witch daughter off to the big city? I don't know. Are, are you? But I mean, in the case and of, that's that's my favorite, by the way. I is, love uh, that. Is movie. Kiki, yeah, that's my, my favorite service. as well. Yeah, that, that's so try it. that one too, Steve. That may be where I go next. I was gonna say if you want to go conventional, like Castle in the Sky or Nausicaa. Nausicaa, I think, is even more conventional because you watch Nausicaa and you're like, okay, this could have been made by 
super genius, talented Western people. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a, know, a, like it's a young girl's adventure story. Right. But yeah, because it, like it it is a hundred percent Miyazaki. But if you watch if you watch Totoro and then you watch Nausicaa, you'd be like, this was the same guy. I mean, you get it aesthetically <laughs> that it was the same guy, but it is very straightforward. It has, you know, except for the fact that it has a, a female protagonist that doesn't marry someone at the end. Like, <laughs> Nausicaa or Cast in the Sky are both kids' adventure movies that have something deeper to them, but that you will feel comfortable with. You will have something to hang your hat on in both of those movies. Whereas Spirited Away, you will not know what to do with your hat. <laughs> All right, we're going to close up the uh, the incomparable for now. Um, this has been a good conversation. Uh, we should we should do it again about some other beloved uh, beloved movie. You're Kiki. right. Well, you're right, John. John, we did the we did the all Miyazaki in one episode thing. So we could revisit Kiki maybe down the road too yep. when it comes out on Blu-ray, which it hasn't yet, which makes me sad because I have a Blu-ray player and I'd be happy to see a pretty HD version of this legally. Mm. Anyway, I want to thank my guests for coming here and talking about uh, about our our neighbor Totoro, our buddy Totoro, uh, Steve Lutz. Thanks for coming and thanks for um, exploring this new world of Miyazaki with us. It's been charming, Jason. That's all charming. I have to say. That's lovely. We this there's no um, antagonist in this episode either. Nor does anything happen. Nor is there a plot. <laughs> uh, Merlin Mann, thank you for coming back. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's been charming. This was a lot of fun. Charmed, I'm sure. <laughs> and John Syracuse, thank you. Yep, anytime we talk anime, I will be there. I know. I wonder what will be next. Maybe you'll have to assign some more viewing for us. I have, I'm thinking of my anime 102 curriculum. Oh, good. Excellent. Thank you, Professor. All right, until next time on The Incomparable, I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks for listening. I thought I learned something today that I think I didn't learn. Oh, yeah, I can't do that. Wow, you guys are early. Yeah, we're early. I'm early. I'm here. Me too. Let me fix my sound. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. That's John's, John's just marathoning it. What, what did you just do? Uh, I just hung up on Marco, yeah. ATP. So right from one podcast into the other. Actually, I, I could have answered at the same time. I don't know what would have happened then because the little green, <laughs> like I was still on the call with Marco and I saw the little like Jason Snell. Blah, blah, blah. If I had hit the little green button, I would have. Would I have been on both calls at once? I don't know. <laughs> I think I don't know a lot about this, uh, John, but I think that's how phone sex operators work. Uh, I think they can conduct several of their calls at one time. So maybe you could have just had like a KVM or something. Yeah, right to the phone sex, huh? That's your, that's your <laughs> that's impressive. Re- readily at hand analogy for the situation. <laughs> Merlin goes to the phone sex faster than we go to the spoiler horn. <laughs> and that's fast. Oh, man. Hang on. Let me get my quiet keyboard. <sighs> Is that the one with the, the, the stickers half ripped off? <laughs> oh my god no that's at home that was my first thought when i saw that keyboard i'm like what if yeah I don't that's know at home like the, the left curly braces I and mean, my fingers mm. probably know but if i once i look down there i'll start second guessing where are you now well, if you're not at home me yeah i'm here in my private office uh, yeah it's it's it looks really cool but <clears throat> i mean even as my i was watching my daughter so it's i don't know if you know this jason but um Dan was kind enough to send me these really cool 
um, comic related stickers mm. for my for that go on an Apple Bluetooth keyboard, and they're super cool. But yeah, John, it's I, I can't imagine you using this thing. It's it uh, it's it's very confusing and distracting. And I guess I'm just so used to just seeing a letter that I think Wolverine, not W, when I see that. <laughs> it's a little distracting. <laughs> I'm sorry. My, you know, P- gosh darn Press it, command Wolverine Skype. to slash away your window. <laughs> hey, you use a Mac. That's cool. <laughs> okay, let me try to fix the sound again. Or is the command key like a picture of Charles Xavier's bald head or something? I Press think- Xavier <laughs> Q to quit. <laughs> The I know the um, caps lock is Bamf, oh, which I think is pretty. Chris cool. Xavier in the face of Quicksilver to quit. Yeah, unfortunately, key, the escape key should have been Bamf. That's good. Whoa! Ooh. <laughs> what is the escape mm. key then? Galactus. I don't. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> the problem. The problem is, uh, yeah. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the Professor X uh, sticker is alive. Sometimes it's dead. Sometimes it can walk. I'm so confused. It is confusing. About Nick Fury. Nick Fury has me so confused. He makes me so mad sometimes. Okay, am I am I okay on on volume here? Streetcar. Yeah, you're fine on volume. <laughs> I love you. I love you so much, John Syracuse. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Skepticism. <laughs> Would I if I weren't so just at least superficially familiar with you? Would I Would I be able to to show love the way I do? I, it's the only way. Oh my God! Everything Everything's falling apart here. Did you guys do the? Uh, see, I'm running that mountain lion hack, so I'm kind of scared to update. I did to... the call recorder update. Is that what, is that what you're going to ask? Oh, well, you know, gosh, my call recorder is really pulling boners for me. Uh, I'm running. Is that good or bad? Um, well, I'll, I'll <laughs> I don't let even you know. Decide. Oh, you're asking about the 1084 update? Yeah, I did that. Okay, I uh, I'm oh, running, I haven't done that. I'm running 2.8 on Skype. Uh, which is, to my knowledge, the last <laughs> the last usable version. Yeah, I moved over to the unusable chain. But you know, call, one thing was, and I don't, I can't trace exactly when this happened, but at some point, call recorder stopped honoring muting. Yes, and I I didn't realize it until I, because you know, like Roderick on the line is to call it editing is really fancy. Yeah. I mean, at least you were I the dropped, one editing it, so you could find your own burps and stuff and not have them just show up in the podcast. I wish it was just a burp, John. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes podcasts run long. Yeah, I had I had um I had a, a, a file that Serenity so <laughs> had a bottle incident. I, I, I had a file Serenity sent me where she actually ordered dinner <laughs> during the episode, and I looked at the waveforms. And I'm like, what is going on? And I listened, and I thought, oh dear, the mute button isn't working. And she's like, yes, that's, okay, that's, I'd like to place an order for delivery. No, that's dangerous territory. There. It is. I'll bet you saying. that was, yeah, I know. Well, so I live in fear of stuff yeah. like that. Whenever I go to the local radio station, the guy, I, the guy I would usually do shows with at the college radio station in Tallahassee, he would talk a lot of crap about people when, when the mics were off, and and I, I didn't want to get involved because I was like, one was day, like, oh, every time, every time I'm in here, you say the mic is off, and somehow my mojo makes the mic be on. He's like, "Oh, don't worry about it; it's all fine." And of course, people start calling. I switched in and going directly. In and I had to hang up on Marco. Speaking of so which, we're fears. now live and accept your call. Oh, terrific! We were done. <laughs> this is the show. We I, were done, but, but you're my nightmares come true. No, um, for me it was, um, I, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I had to cut out a Roderick yeah, like on the line where I was like, mixing a drink. I didn't think right. that was appropriate. <laughs> That's you know that doesn't. That's off podcast material there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me toot this out. Um, yep, yep. And so the uh, that update isn't anything too substantial. 
It what does it fix? It fixes your iMessages might the, come in the right order, possibly. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Y'all believe that. Right. <laughs> gotta get me that gotta get me again. I uh, wish I was more okay. of a drinker, by the way, because then Marco could buy me lots and lots of drinks next week. But listen to you. I'm not on his, on his helicopter or his yacht. <laughs> <laughs> on his uh yacht that is also a helicopter. <laughs> it's a helicopter. It's a hella yacht. <laughs> it's not the hella carrier, but it is hella good. A, it is definitely a hella oh man. Um, okay. I think I'm almost ready. Let me get a, right. you know what I did tonight? Yourself. Uh, just for you guys. Sapporo. Isn't that nice? Oh. I got, I got a Japanese beverage. That's good. Don't touch my mustache. Um, boy. You know, you know what I did, Jason? First of all, thank you. For, I know this isn't the show. Thank no. you for having me back after my horrible performance last time. <laughs> I promise not to be as bad this time. Um, and I didn't, hopefully I didn't over-prepare. I did try to watch it in Japanese, which I kind of... Yeah, we can talk about that. You should save that for the podcast. Save for the show. Okay, let me get my back up. Hang on. Oh, God, it's muted. They can't hear me. (laughs) Oh, thank God. Oh, God, I shouldn't. I think that pork was bad. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, God, it's just, it's so much. It's like methane. Oh, oh, God. Okay, let me unmute it. I promise it'll be better this time. This is turning into a rhetoric on the line. No, well, you, have you heard More the last dings. two back to works? I haven't. <laughs> They're on my iPhone. <laughs> I did listen actually did to the. I did actually find the part where 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 Merlin mentioned the incomparable because I have to always hear what Merlin says about me. You guys, I. What was the thing you retweeted? Someone who said, "I listened to the first fifteen minutes, the most recent back to work, and, and this is literally <laughs> what it must sound, what it must feel like to go crazy." <laughs> I like the one that, that they they've taken to the back to work show notes, being like a a, a, a puzzle or or like, sanity test of like what, what might this be about. You have to figure out what happened here. <laughs> right, it's like a Sherlock Holmes <laughs> locked room mystery. <laughs> How are these things? Well, apparently, uh, one of the assailants was over here with what I can only imagine is a spear gun. Uh, the other one over here seems to have uh, a Kree scroll wars. Yeah, it's it's to try and reverse engineer it. You know, would be it, hard. but the system is working because all the things that I have corrections for, like I end up forgetting because the rest of the content <laughs> scrambles my brain. And now, now I'm reaching for like, oh, I've got him here. I can tell him about all those things that he got wrong. I just can't remember a single one. Oh my gosh! I, I can't. E- First of all, okay, this is not the show, but um, I hope it's your show. But I, oh my god, John, I, you know this. I tell you this every time we talk. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so fruity for you, and I can't believe you listen to the show. No, so I when I, when I impersonate you as a sentinel, no, no, I'm talking know, about the things you love. get wrong that will be harmful to your life. Obviously, everything you say about me is wrong, right? But like, I'm <laughs> talking about like the things, the things where you're mistaken. About like something where you're like trying to do something on your computer or whatever, and you you are misguided into and in, in how something is going to work. That's what I, I would try to help you. I'm I'm this is altruism. Like he just needs to know that what he said there is not right, and he should do it this other it's, way. It's a, it, I, you've occasionally listened to Roderick on the line. It's a kind of quick quip, quid, uh, quid quo quid crow, where maybe we could help each other. Yeah, you you could, got, that's one it. of the things. Here's one I remember from what I was listening to today. You Hello. very frequently switch Hello. into references to Roderick on the line, I think, without even realizing it. So, like, it's required listening for now for Back to Work because I'm realizing, wait a second, no one's going to understand what that was. You know, it won't even, like, you'll use it to make your point. You'll use a reference to make a point, And it will make no sense if people hadn't heard, like, the entire history of Roderick on the line. And I'm not sure you always realize you're doing Like, ping pong is an easy one, fine. But, like, there, yeah. forget what it was. In this most recent episode, you use something to make a point, And I'm like... That makes no sense out of context. You have to basically listen to the other show to understand that one. And John has. 
That's a lot he's of I have, I have, but I don't. I like the thing is, I don't. At this point, I don't know if Merlin realizes he's doing it. Like he might, but I forget what I what podcast I said what thing on, right? So like sometimes well, it's like a, it's like like DC and tie-ins, Jason. You I know, don't know it's what like that means. you go like. Well, no, like you go like, you know what? I want to read Green Lantern like a gentleman. But unfortunately, I also have to read these nine other titles just to understand what the F is going on, you know? But, you know, John, if you ever want to do, I know you're busy, but if you ever want to do a a podcast called Follow Up with John Syracuse, I would be very happy to be your sidekick. I get tired just thinking about that. Oh, man. I never know what the F is going on. Hey, I know your voice. What's up, Merlin Man? (gasps) Oh, my God, Steve Lutz, I love you. This is exciting. Uh, well, suddenly, the fact that I'm I'm cradling a velvet Merlin in my palm has taken on a terrible Ooh, new dimension. The, I'm just glad to know there's a velvet Merlin. The beer oh, is there is. better. It's velvety it's, too. I've had it, the velvet way, Merlin. Yeah, you're stout and you're delicious. Yeah, just oh, wanted you to know. You are. Thank you. I always thought myself as a more of a portly, but that wasn't funny. Um, boy, you guys killed it on uh, that. I swear to God, I said this on Back to Work, but that um, the uh, episode one. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I get the feeling. I forget you said, Jason. Did you say you cut out like a bunch of I, it? But I, yeah, you could have gone on for hours on that. Yeah, we well, we did go for hours. We could have gone for days. Yeah. But but it but it hurt us. It hurt us every second. It, it did. It's it's actually a good thing that it kind of broke your will after forty five minutes, and you had to stop taking notes because otherwise it would have run at least for a week. <laughs> no, like I, yeah. the the experience of doing that podcast. Like I I I enjoyed listening to it more than I enjoyed doing it because I'm like I, every time I'm just thinking like I don't want to be talking about this. Uh, catharsis like, is, is never pleasant. And I was the one who was like, oh, we totally got to do an episode one one because I have one. But like once I was in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, why am I doing this I've to made myself? a terrible mistake. Yeah. <laughs> or that was what I was feeling when I was rewatching it. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? There's a, there's a funny thread, though, that, that I picked up with you guys that I've seen with other people. And I, this happens with me at the comic store twice a month, is you start to have a conversation about episode one. And at least in my case, I almost always preface it by trying to bracket the Jar Jar Binks problem. And I say, listen, let's just say, and you guys covered this in much detail, but here's, here's the he thing. He's not the problem. Say, well, well, here's the thing. You go like, well, you know, it's just there's so much in it that, you know, it's, you know, Luke or, um, you know, uh, Anakin is so unsympathetic and he's so annoying. And, and, and then you go, well, you know what? Just a little, forget about Jar Jar Binks. Because then you got the, but then pretty soon you're like, but Jar Jar Binks! And you're like, it's not even that he's like a, a big floppy racist stereotype it's that he's he's destroying and so you say to yourself i'm not going to talk about jar jar binks and then you kind of have to don't you think you oh you do it's just i i think everybody has said so much about him that that i like to point out and so i did on the podcast that in watching it back it's like you know you can't focus too much on him because there are lots of other problems. It's not as if, well, you know, if Jar Jar was not there, then you got a movie because that's not true. I love true. when you guys had to pick out one thing you didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Sophie's choice. You're trying to bracket off Jar Jar is a little like trying to bracket off, uh, you know, the Sharon Tate murder from the rest of the Manson family's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just want to say I'm no fan of Squeaky From. Don't get me started. You know, on- the Love Young, because that wasn't so bad. <laughs> Oh come on! Oh my God, they had a long happy life. Kids the, check Wikipedia. This is the uh, that's right, kids. This is the greatest thing that's not the podcast. Again, I su- I suggested the title already. The show title. This is not the show because this is not the show. <laughs> Should we get started with the show? Has everybody seen this movie? Yeah, I already got a few titles. Right. Too. I yes. have seen this movie. Okay, this should be good. Uh, Twice. Um, all right, and we're all recording our sides, correct? Wait, wait, Steve. Oh yeah, on. I'm recording my side. Okay, good. Recording. Thank you. Ooh, man. Need to clear my throat or something. Yeah. 
All right, here we go. Hold on to something. You hold, take something you love and hold it close to you. I'm gripping my velvet Merlin lovingly. Excellent. That's funny. I was too. Ah. Mm. But also, here's here's the Totoro in the room, and l- let's be honest. This is this is shame on everyone. Uh, I am so happy to spend money on stuff. Uh, I don't love Blu-rays. My it's so crazy to me on my fancy Roku three. On my Apple TV with iTunes, I cannot find a scrap of Miyazaki to stream or buy anywhere. The only option out there, yeah, literally the only option is to buy it <clears throat> on Blu-ray, um, I assume. It's a shame to me that it's weird to – I guess it's weird to me, and I guess you could really overdo the whole like, oh, Steve Jobs, Apple, Pixar, blah, blah, blah relationship. But it's crazy to me. You can't buy these on on iTunes you you can't you know buy them. I don't. I, I, last time I looked on my Roku, um, if you know what I mean, I, I could not find these anywhere. Have have you guys had a similar experience? Yeah, no. I, well, I've already bought them on DVD and Blu-ray and my illegal DVD copies before they were out on real DVD and the digital version. So like I've I will continue to pay for these movies in every possible form. But you're right. You cannot get legitimate versions as far as I know, except for on DVD or Blu-ray. There are really good 1080p and seven whatever that means and, and 720p versions out there of these that I, I feel frustrated, you know, having to watch because I would love to pay the money. But, you know, it, isn't it strange that these movies are, are so resonant with us? But like they're I don't know. I'm, I, I understand it's complicated and there's, you know, deals that have to be made. But, you know, isn't that strange? Like we, we want to send this man off to watch these wonderful movies and, and there's really nowhere to get them unless you – in our case, we have like you can go to Japantown. And uh, somewhere I've got a wonderful picture of my daughter when she first saw Totoro standing there with like a four-foot-tall Totoro at, at a store in Japantown. But uh, it, and doesn't that seem strange? Like, Jason, you understand computers. Why, why, why can we not find Miyazaki anywhere? I don't think this is computers. I think this is some weird rights kind of thing. And this is all the anime that John has wanted me to watch has been very difficult to I find. I can't find your Millennium Actress. I cannot. Yeah. I, 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 some of them aren't even on video in the U.S., but the ones that are, there's like a DVD. All the ones you it. recommended, I've had to find Samus.versions versions of. I can't find like, and I, I'm sorry. I own like, as you know, John, I own the Godfather. I'm going to say Duology. Okay, this is my version of There Is No Prequel. I own the first two Godfather movies on DVD. I mean, I, I just, I, it drives me nuts. It, I don't know. It just seems very strange to me. Don't, that they don't play afraid of Blu-ray. Just get yourself a cheap Blu-ray drive. Rip no, I've got, MTVs John, I've got a Blu-ray set. player. I just, I, I don't so. like paying for plastic. No, it's no, we'll get yourself a Blu-ray drive for your computer so you can get buy the Blu-ray, rip it to MKV, and then and then have the MKVs play on your... Cut you know all like, of this out. This is Thank becoming you. an accidental Thank tech you. podcast. No, you just, you just changed everything. We're going to have to... Pick this up on uh, yeah. follow up with John Syracuse. Somewhere else. Follow up with John Syracuse. You, you, that, may be a, that may be a Google query that you can type in that will give you fruitful results. Blu ray, MKV, OS 10. Google. Yeah. yeah, make MKV is what I use. Talk to me yeah. about Plex next time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would be. The, it's beautiful. The Blu ray looks great, I have to say. I can report. Exclusively to the. I hate the menus. I hate the, the FBI Blu-ray warning. Screen. I'm going to show oh, you. Yeah. Nope. I hate they're, it all. They're terrible. They're terrible. After dark. After dark. So pretty. But if it's a Disney anyway. DVD, you get to watch all the previews before you get to do anything either. Actually, on the blue, on the uh, on the new Totoro uh, DVD, you, you there's can get a thing, the menu in, in one press. There's a thing that says press press the menu to you know to bypass this and it's it's uh, less the fact offensively that you even bad have to do that though makes me oh yeah no it's, it's yeah, still but terrible it's not, but it, but it is much I have ones where it's locked out and you previews. literally have to forward through trailers to get to the menu uh, <laughs> yeah so it's better than that
I love how there's always Steve Letts laughter happening in the background. That's yeah. Sorry, that's a classic. No, it's a classic. And then I can leave it out. It's or, subtle, or you know. In a lot of American myself. movies, they would feel like they'd have to you take know, the Steve Letts laughter. American right. podcasts tend to do that. <laughs> Japanese podcasts don't take the kind of form that we're used to with podcasts. Don't touch my mustache. That's true. They just don't <sighs> have the, the idiot that chuckles to himself in the background on the episode. No. So, no, Scott McNulty is a very who, Japanese who podcast. Something about Japanese culture. Can you explain a couple of things to me? Maybe the chat room can do that. Maybe. Do all Japanese toddlers sound like they smoke three packs of camels before nap time? <laughs> yeah, the, I, the one thing I have been able to pick up from like watching all of these uh, the subtitle versions is they seem to use voice actors that are way too old for a lot of the kids. Like yeah. I, maybe it's just because I can't. Uh, well, I was wondering if I, if I couldn't just couldn't tell because that's actually how like Japanese little toddler girls sound. I have absolutely <laughs> no. Huh. You think that's a cultural thing? It is a it is a good question though. Yeah, I, but I, it might be all the rights. I mean, maybe they do it in American ones too. I guess do they cast do they cast like kids? I guess they cast kids. Frequently with it'll be who are, like who are a, way like, older than the kids. Well, like sure. a 12 year old like doing Lisa, a Lisa I thought the Fanning is, girls yeah. sounded perfect for for, for for that age. The 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 sub the Japanese version the 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 voices oh, are you, strange. You know what it might be also is that the adult Japanese women sound younger to us often. Like they'll have <laughs> like they'll have a voice, but it's like a, kind of a higher pitched voice. And so then when we hear someone doing it's supposed to be the voice of a five year old, and it sounds to us like they're ten. And that's but then also the the thirty year old sounds to us like they're sixteen. And so maybe we just can't tell ages from Japanese voices because we don't understand the language. Yeah. I have another question. The yes. uh, the combo of the wife beater, Greek fisherman's hat, and the shorts that look like assless chaps from the back mm-hmm. is that standard? <laughs> there are no assful chaps. Is it, is it the Greek? <laughs> there I, are the, assful chaps. Are you kidding me? I, I get a Gilligan no kind of vibe. The standard from him. chap has an ass. Did you notice so all, you, the, all the all the chill, bi, boy children were wearing like what I assume were their fathers' hats from their naval duty in World War II? Oh. Yes. is that what it was? I, I thought, thought he was implying that he was part of the the young men's Shinto organization, the YMSA. I thought they were all wearing. And their dad's on the roof this, is, this, this is post. This is post war, right? And so, if I were an outgoing preteen, <laughs> I got to take a Totoro break. But I'll be right back. I can't. It's I can't mute. Call, call recorder's broken. But, uh, <laughs> no. I can't know where to be. I, I, if, I if you're going to go Totoro, have, I wish you would mute it. I have to go write a story. Oh, is it about computers? It is. What are you going to write about? It's a secret. I've never heard of that. Is that? Wait, can you uh, explain your secret? Thing? Can you explain your secret podcast? I instapapered it, but I don't didn't have time. To I like, can't. Tried, I tried it. to play it three times on my iPad, and all three times it showed me the player, and then nothing I'm gonna, I'm going to turn off the stream because I have to say secret things. So goodbye, <gasps> five by five. Thanks for oh, listening. Goodbye. Oh, you're killing them. Yeah. Know things you don't know. Ha ha ha. Creepy. Ah. Creepy. We're off. Creepy. I do have to. I do have to. Is it off? Yes, it's off. That's what she said. I, I have to pee really bad, but I want to okay. hear this. Okay. So should I hold it? Should yeah, because yeah, then you, I have to you go. Want, you wanted it to be off Hold so you could say the word P because people wouldn't know what you needed <laughs> yeah. to go for. It's a secret. I have to go away from my yeah. desk for something, but I don't want to say me. No, I'm John Syracuse. No, I got it all figured know, out. You know, there's this new app that some people we know are releasing. Oh, oh the, the, note, the note the note the Vesp- thing? The Vesper. And I have yeah. to write a story about it, and it sounds like they're going to release it tomorrow. Oh, oh that's what the whole world is going to know. That's what Brent was being cagey about. Yeah, they may. I, I was hoping they would release right? it Friday because I I'm working at home on Friday and could write it, and instead I have to write it tonight. Oh shit! I, my, you, my you, were you uh, testing that too? I don't remember seeing you. In the yeah, I'm in the. I'm in. I posted uh, some things, and I'm in the oh. about box. Maybe I missed it. You know, oh. ironically enough, I'm going to go get a full Merlin. Okay, while good. he's doing that, excellent. Mm. So two hundred bucks in New Orleans. Be right back. <laughs>